1: Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. The going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other
2: MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he
3: plants one. Way back! It's one out. He's, oh, on.
1: he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's
4: Cast Live.
1: Here's Chris Townsend.
4: How is everybody doing? We are back. That's right. A's Cast Live with you here from Six Flags. Been here all day, riding roller coasters, having fun. I actually, I actually walked around, this is my first time here, and I'll tell you this, this is a really big property. And it is really cool because it's an amusement park slash zoo. Like you ride the rides here at Six Flags, and then you can walk around. I saw the Twin Lions, saw the giraffe. I mean, they have so much going on here, so. If I were you, it's towards the end of summer. I would get out here, and we're going to be here till 7 o'clock tonight doing A's cast live. Will Leach from MLB.com is going to be here at 4.30. Commander Cody has come together with another fantastic lineup. Tim Kirchin one of the greats. I mean, he's the best, like the nicest guy in the world from ESPN will be here at 5 o'clock. And Susan Slusser, our A's insider, will be here at 5.30 – Joey Mellows, baseball Brit. This is the guy that's going to 162 straight games, and it, they don't have to be big league games, right, Cody?
3: There have to be big league games. No, I believe he's doing both. He's going to minor league and major league games. But he's he was, going to a game every single day for 162. He's trying to make 162 games. He's from uh, straight. Yeah, he's from England, and he's uh, he was at. The called over the weekend, and he was at Oracle Park the other night, so he was just here in the Bay Area, so perfect time to grab So him. does he ever take
4: a day off from a game?
3: That's something I will look up.
4: Okay. And then that will be at 6, and then we'll have the Bob Melvin show for you at 6.30 as we have a lot to get into with Bob. So Will Leach coming up at 4.30, Tim Kirchner at 5 o'clock, Susan Slusser at 5.30, Baseball Brit at 6, and then the Bob Melvin show at 6.30. Well, obviously, today was an absolute stinker. And trying to figure out how to get some of these guys going. You know, the A's are still doing really well, no question. But what would this team be like if Matt Chapman was hitting, if Chris Davis was hitting, if uh, Trinan and Trevino didn't struggle and get lit up? What would it be like? How good could the A's be? Because every single time you look up, they're losing ground on the Astros, and they're not gaining ground on Tampa or Cleveland. So they could be doing that if they had all their guys. Like, this was a series that you felt you got everybody. Okay, today you got smoked, but you probably would have won game one. And then you smoked them game two, and you're walking out of there taking two out of three, getting ready to take on the White Sox, which, by the way, we're going to play a game. Don't t- don't tell anybody, but this is going to be our game. We're going to give a number, an over or under number of how many times Ken, Vince, and Ray, during the broadcast, say the South Side of Chicago. Anytime they say South Side, because let me tell you, it's a lot. So we're going to have to keep track. That means we're going to have to listen to every moment. I, I'm I'm already looking at the over and under at least at 30. It's going to be 10 a game. Now this counts pregame all the way through postgame. Joey the Italian stallion. He hasn't. He he. You have never heard this. You wait when they go to. It's Southside. Southside. South. How many times will Southside be said in three days? Or we could all put a number in. Who whoever gets closest to it wins the prize. But don't tell Ken and Vince because we don't want to change it. So we're going to play a game called the South Side of Chicago for three days. We'll figure it out. we got a couple days to make it work. But that is a good thing is that you're going to be staying in the same bed, same hotel. Now you need to go beat up on the White Sox, and then you need to come home and you need to take it to the Giants. Who, by the way, who was the guy saying if you think – you can save this Giants team. You're crazy. Who was that guy? Who was the guy that said Mass and Baumgartner must go? All of your reliever pieces must go. Anybody that you can ship for anybody, for any type of talent, to get your, to get your farm system back to being somewhat respectable because the farm system for the San Francisco Giants isn't very good. And I know I was talking about that a long time ago. And even when they were winning, remember they started to win and everybody started to get excited, and they're like, oh, the Giants. And I was like, this is a mirage. This ship has been sunk. It's been sitting on the bottom of the ocean for a
3: while. Well, what happened today? They lost again, right? They just lost to the Nationals? 4-1 was the final. They got swept by the Nats.
4: That was a total mirage. And now they're what, three games under 500? You can't be fooled by this kind of stuff. And I can't believe Farhan got fooled by this. Or maybe it wasn't, you know, I I don't know what kind of control Farhan has. You know, maybe ownership looked at him and said, there's no way you can start trading everybody when the team is playing this well, you gotta sweat it out. You know, this could, you watch, this is another little prediction. Unless you're going to re-sign Massim Bumgarner to a long-term contract, you may have really, for a guy that's done so much for that organization, you may have really screwed him. From a standpoint of, if they're going to put the qualifying offer on him, we saw what that did to Dallas Keuchel. We saw what it did to Craig Kimbrel. When you have you and your agent have a an idea of what your worth is, years money and next thing you know that draft compensation is stuck around your neck. These modern day general managers do not want to give up any type of any type of picks. So not only could you made a bad move by not moving him, now you could be affecting him long term for his free agency. Because if you get traded during the year, they can't put the qualifying offer on you. So if he would have got traded to wherever Madison Bunware would have, let's say he got traded to the A's. A's would have took him in a second. But then the A's couldn't put the qualifying offer on him. and He could just be a standard free agent, and teams wouldn't have that issue. But I cannot believe they fell for this and not really getting better. And Farhan, he's got a long road back. He has a real – Long road. It's going to be a long road. But for the A's, they're still just a half game out of that wild card. The sprint to the end is so – and that this is why the wild card is so great. This is why the second wild card is so great. Because look how many teams are still in it. Look how many – still. I mean, you, you could realistically say the Texas Rangers at 58 and 54, six and a half games back, do they still have a – they've just won five in a row. Everybody is legitly, and I'll even say the Red Sox also, who are 1-9 and nine in their last 10, but they're just six and a half games back. Everybody is one winning streak away from being right in it. And you know who's proved that to us more than anybody? Oh, come on, Cody. you got to be better than that.
1: Meet the Mets. Oh
4: my second love the New York Mets dysfunctional crazy you need to break it up fire this guy fire that guy no 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 the Mets are the hottest team in baseball they're 9 and 1 in their last 10 they've won 5 in a row they're now 58 and 56 they're the reverse of the San Francisco Giants. One game out of that second wild card. They are just a game and a half back. At one point, they were such a disaster, not anymore. And that pitching staff on an everyday basis, the Mets have become the most intriguing team in all of baseball. But that's what happens with two wild cards. St. Louis is a half game back. Milwaukee, despite how bad they've been playing, they're just a game back. The Mets are a game and a half back. Arizona sitting at 57 and 57. They're like the ultimate team who didn't know what they were. Are we buyers? Are we sellers? What are we going to do? Arizona at 57 and 57. They're just two and a half games back. This is the best time in baseball. As we've got two months left, and you got all these teams, because pretty much the division's... You start looking at the divisions, I I think think obviously the Dodgers are going to win it. I think Atlanta's going to win it. And I would put my money on Chicago just because they are so dominant at home. If they can figure out just to play halfway decent, halfway decent on the road, Cubs will take that division. And the American League, Houston, not going to catch them. I guess Cleveland, you could say, has a shot at Minnesota, but I would put my money on Minnesota, hold on, and then the Yankees are going to win the East. Yeah, if we could get them to turn that down a little bit. The speaker here at Six Flags is pointed right <laughs> at me. I don't want to take the music away from everybody here. This is a really fun time, my first time ever being here, and I'm was very, i very, very impressed. And the one thing I can't wait for... If, if you don't know this about me, I'm a big Halloween guy. I love Halloween. I decorate my entire house. I freak my wife out. I got skeletons hanging everywhere. I got tombstones. I've got a haunted forest. I've got I got, cobwe- I got cobwebs that go all over the front of my house with monster spiders. Legitly, I've got two skeletons. They're like 6'2", that I hang from my roof so it looks like they're climbing up my roof. I'm a big Halloween guy. I dress as the Riddler every Halloween and go trick-or-treating with my kids. So I guess once we hit fall coming up here in September, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they got like Fright Night where they're doing a total Halloween theme. So I may be down to come back, maybe even do another show here at Six Flags. But the place is legit. We're having a lot of fun. All righty. How do you fix people in August? And is it, is it even possible to fix somebody in August? We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live.
1: For a little over a dollar a day, you can attend every or any 2020 regular season A's home game with A's Access. That's right. The most flexible membership program in sports is back with increased access to the ballpark and even more benefits. As a member of A's Access, you'll receive general admission access to the entire ballpark for every regular season home game in addition to a seat plan. Plus, every game you'll receive 50% off concessions, 10 dollars prepaid parking and 25 percent off merchandise if you sign up today your benefits will start now for the remainder of the 2019 season including 10 dollars parking ballpark access and 25 percent off merchandise get your membership today for a chance to also purchase 2019 postseason tickets now is the time to join a's access get started at athletics.com slash access athletics.com access
2: Want to give back to the community along with some of your favorite A's players and front office staff? Through the A's volunteer team, fans can join us in giving back to Oakland and the East Bay. Through your time and energy, fans can earn rewards based on the number of hours spent volunteering. To get started, visit athletics.com community. That's athletics.com community. This
1: summer, our hats are off for you, A's fans. Grab 15 of your closest family members, friends, or co-workers, and make memories at the ballpark with our new Hats Off group package. Groups purchasing 15 or more tickets in the lower level will receive a free exclusive A's cap featuring our popular spring training elephant logo. Select games and restrictions apply. Visit athletics.com hats off for more information. That's athletics.com slash hats off. If you love chicken pies
4: and a dynamic menu, then you're going to love the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. You have to try their world-famous Chicken Pie Dinner, which has been served in Southern California for 80 years. That's the Chicken Pie Shop right off Main Street in downtown Walnut Creek. Located at 1251 Arroyo Way. Parking's easy, perfect for events, daily drink and food specials, and best of all, great food. Check out their menu at chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com, right off Main Street, Walnut Creek.
2: Want to take home half of the 50-50 pot? This season, you'll have even more opportunities to test out your luck. The Oakland A's Community Fund will host a 50-50 raffle at every home game in 2019. Tickets are sold from gates opening through the last out of the 6th inning, from raffle sellers, or at the kiosk at Section 217. The winner will be announced in-game and will receive 50% of the jackpot, with the remainder benefiting the Oakland A's Community Fund. Learn more at athletics.com raffle. Now
1: back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris
4: Townsend. (laughs) Chris Townsend with you here on A's Cast Live. Will Leach from MLB.com is going to join us in just a little bit. Despite Chapman struggling offensively, He's still having a phenomenal year when it comes to making great plays and avoiding mistakes. So Chapman going into today had 35 good fielding plays. Really, they should say great fielding plays. This is uh, Sports Info Solutions. Our buddy Mark Simon came up with this. So 35 good fielding plays compared to 14 misplays and errors. Chapman's 35 are the most in Major League Baseball for a non-first baseman. Because first baseman with the scoops and all that, they get more opportunities. And you talk about an improvement over year to year. Last year when he won the Platinum Gold Glove, he had 41 good plays and 35 misplays and errors. And that was something that we friend of the program Matt Williams, we talked to Matt about, was that's when he takes. You guys don't like you don't like you don't like, you don't like friend of the program. He's friend of the program.
3: Everyone's a friend of the pro. This is a a, a, a friend. I can now I came to what I want to say. I mean, I was it's watch- a friendly show is what I was trying to say. I,
4: I was I was watching uh, the Nats and the Giants the other night, and when Sean Doolittle closed the game out. And Kurt Suzuki was catching. That's a battery. That's friends of the program. Yeah, they are friends
3: of the program. They've been on the program for years. Yeah, they're Ace they're, they're family. So is Matt Williams. So is Matt Williams. Mark Simon's friend of the show. So
4: no doubt about it. So when Matt Williams came over and sat down, you, you hear the promo of Matt talking about loves what we're doing. But seriously, Matt was like, where Chapman takes his game to a next level is not the heroic. It's not the dynamic. It's not the great plays it's always making the routine play and what matt is what matt said to us here on A's cast live is exactly what he's doing but the problem is he's hitting point 0 in the last uh last 13 games he's hitting point 043 all right you can't even like be like he's not even hit you know we always say he's not even hitting his weight 0.043 he's got 19 strikeouts during that time and he's 0 for his last 17 that means he's not seeing it he doesn't have confidence and you just wonder at this time of the year because we always say a guy's too good a guy's, hey, look at the back of the baseball card which you know I hate that saying the guy's too good I would, I would tend to agree when it comes to Matt Chapman, but I'm not going to agree with Trinan and Trevino. I mean, we're into August, and we have not seen any signs of Trevino getting his confidence back. And what's scary is the radar gun is still getting lit up. The stuff is still there. But for some reason, with both of them, Their confidence is just nowhere near what it used to be. And the thing that you could really say about Trinan, this league is all about adjustments. And a year of everybody swinging over that bowling ball sinker that was 98 miles an hour, hitters are just not doing that anymore. Hitters are watching that. So that when he throws that first pitch, and usually people were swinging over it, and he was up 0-1 now they're not swinging at it and it's 1-0 throws it again they don't swing at 2-0 now the hitters in the driver's seat and Trinan has to come in and with the way these hitters are today you're throwing 98 97 but they've adjusted to it and it's not and they're, they're not fooling anybody all right and they're not fool, neither of neither Trinan or Trevino are fooling anybody with their breaking stuff their sliders, their cutters, and I don't know how we could just expect these guys after, what, April, May, June, July, four-plus months of not throwing the ball well that the light is just going to turn on, and they're going to be ready to go, postseason ready. I mean, it's hard to believe that Bob Melvin has had to use Trinan and Trevino in mop up duty. This is this this, this is when you pitched Aaron Brooks. And this is how you're having to pitch. We went over it earlier in in the in the uh, in the post game show, the Ace Clubhouse show. How is it possible that you had a one of the best ERAs ever, 0.78, and then the next year you come out and four-plus four months in, you got a 4.84 ERA, 0.78 for a full season last year, and now Blake has a 4.84 after giving up another home run today. I mean, I wonder, is it mental? Is it the ball? Is it, is, is you know, because Meredith Wills, Dr. Meredith Wills, our astrophysicist, say – because the seams don't have the drag that it could be affecting people's pitches. Whatever it is, mental, the ball, whatever it is, it's not working. And when you got a 4.84 ERA, when's a manager going to bring you in? Trevino giving up two more earned runs today. He's got a 5.14 ERA. When do you put that guy in? How do you put him in? We see so many times these high leverage situations and we'll be sitting up in the broadcast booth and we'll look down to see who's warming up. And I'll tell you what gets said a lot. What gets said a lot is, hey, last year, this would have been Trevino time. Last year, this would have been trying time. And now there are two guys that you're pitching in, in primarily when games are out of hand because Bob can't trust them. In close games. And that, and I know we talk year to year, it's hard to project a bullpen. But come on, did anybody see this happening? Guys going from being having a, a historic year, that's almost like a meltdown going from 0.78 to 4.84. That literally is like a meltdown. And I don't know what you do, I don't know what the. If Rap Soto, or if Trackman, or if the high-tech cameras—I I don't know how you fix them. And the toughest thing too about a pitcher—it's not like a hitter. A hitter can go up in a cage and constantly take take uh, take swings. A hitter can hit off a tee. The hitter can do a lot of different things. A pitcher, when you're not going well, there's only so many times you can throw the ball. So it's tougher for pitchers to go through these types of struggles because you just can't go out there and air it out and do bullpens every single day. You do have to prepare like you're ready to pitch. It's easier to work out of slumps as a hitter because all the work you can do, you can only do so much work as a pitcher. I keep crossing my fingers just like you do. And the thing that that should be scary for where we look at Matt Chapman and where we look at Chris Davis. As we had the article yesterday, did I bring it? We had the article yesterday from ESPN about all the records and all the home runs. Yeah. The article, the 20 most amazing and astounding facts from the year of the home run. So if you have, if you're struggling offensively and you have record numbers of home runs going out, Chris Davis, who's hit 40 home runs three straight years. Chris Davis, who hit the most home runs last year with 48. The fact that this is the year of the home run and he's struggling. Stuff like that is really head scratching. Go back and read this article, though. Once again, it's the 20 most amazing and astounding facts from the year of the home run. It's so crazy. It's funny. It's comical. It's comical how many balls are leaving the yard at a rapid rate. So that's why I question, if this is going on and you're struggling, what does that say about your year? But one thing that you can that you can hang your hat on with Matt Chapman, it doesn't affect his defense. Like so many people, their offense will affect their defense. If they're not doing well on offense, they are sitting out there in the field just thinking about it. Well, the great thing is that does not happen with Matt Chapman. And he continues to be one of the best infielders, if not the best, in the game. Well, got some stats. We're going to have to go Will Leach from MLB.com. Comparing Mickey Mantle, because remember, a young Mickey Mantle with Mike Trout. How close are they? It's very interesting. We'll talk about next, right here on A's Cast Live. Now, back to A's Cast Live. Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Will Leach from MLB.com is going to join us in moments. Is there really a curse of Home Run Derby? Josh Bell has not hit a home run in the second half. Matt Chapman, we just went over those numbers. Pete Alonzo at one point was really struggling with the Mets. That's why they say some guys don't like doing it. It wrecks your swing. It messes you up. But, man, curse of home run derby. <laughs> and how about this on national television tonight? ESPN you got the Pirates up against the Milwaukee Brewers and Bell and Yelich both are not playing what do you think about that that is ESPN's got to love do we have Will Will welcome to Ace Cast Live with Chris Townsend how are you how's it going man I'm doing great hey ESPN's got to be thrilled they got a national game tonight. It's the Pirates and it's the Brewers, and uh, Josh Bell and uh, Christian Yelich both aren't playing.
5: <laughs> well, well
6: uh, uh, listen, don't I think don't uh, underestimate, uh, you know, the the excitement
4: of getting the opportunity uh, to watch.
6: Whoever else is
4: on those teams,
6: whoever they are, oh yeah, don't 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 lose that opportunity.
4: <laughs> so we were just talking about guys. There's some guys who are really struggling since they did home run derby. Josh Bell's one of them. Our own Matt Chapman can't buy a hit right now. You buy into that the home run derby can mess up the swing a little bit?
6: Uh, I don't. You know, my colleague at uh, MLB.com, Mike Petriello, has written about this, and he's always kind of talked about the idea that a lot of times the people that go to the home run derby. The people who are selected for the Home Run Derby are usually doing so because they're hot. You know, they're hitting the ball really well and often sometimes hitting above their career norms so oftentimes, in the second half they'll go back to where they were before Josh Bell was so hot in the first half probably a little over his skis a little bit probably not as great as he usually hits the ball so when he takes a step back it's very convenient to blame it on the home run derby I think that I I know that I, it would probably affect my swing because uh, it, it seems like a very different thing but I'm a terrible hitter so I, I, I'm not a professional these guys are professionals I think generally speaking it becomes a convenient way to look at players that aren't doing well. But generally speaking, I think uh, I think it's just a thing that happens.
4: You know, it wasn't long ago that we were all trashing the New York Mets. Brody Van Wagenen was just, uh, this guy's out over his skis as a first-year general manager. Mickey Calloway, he's lost the clubhouse. He's lost the team. Uh, should they just trade everybody, start rebuilding? I mean, people went in hard on the Mets they're now arguably the hottest team in baseball, and the Mets now, just a game and a half back of the second wild card. The Mets are coming on strong.
6: Yeah, you know, and they've obviously their schedule has been helpful. I feel like every time I look, they're, they're walloping the Marlins. Every time I turn on, they're, they're hitting them. I think they had the White Sox, and I think the Pirates, when they were kind of struggling a little bit. So the schedule's been softer, but you know, you can only play the team uh, that you play, and on a certain level, I almost feel like they backed into the right decision at the trade deadline. You know, you heard they were going to trade Syndergaard. You heard that Wheeler was on, on the market. to me, if you're the Mets, you already made all these deals in the offseason, basically saying we're trying to win in 2019 and 2020. You kind of, for better or worse, kind of are stuck with it at this point. So it's to their good fortune that they've gotten hot. I still am a little skeptical. The schedule gets really, really tough. Listen. If they're going to win the wild card, they're going to have to earn it. They're going to have to. They play Philadelphia a bunch. They play Washington a bunch. They play the Braves a bunch. They play all of these playoff teams. If they can beat those teams and get in the playoffs, I will. Uh, I'll believe it. Uh, but certainly, yeah, it, it's been almost a bummer though because making fun of the Mets is almost half of the fun of the Mets existing anyway. So when they're doing well, but that's the great thing about the Mets. No one makes fun of the Mets more than Mets fans when they're struggling. But when they are going well, uh, they're like, oh yeah, we do the whole time. Yeah, we always do this with coming. I think that's. Kind of the beauty of the Mets
4: fans, <laughs> and, and once they picked up Stroman, and everybody's like, "Why would they? Why would they be buyers?" Oh, that's for 2020. But you look at right now, <laughs> yeah, in division's not going to be easy. But if their five starters start vibing off each other, not too many people have a better starting five than the Mets.
6: Well, and this is what we've been saying about the Mets for years, right? If they can just get everybody, all those starters going and healthy at the same time. And that's not really what's happened most of this year, right? Like, I think that they've had uh, Syndergaard struggle a little bit. DeGrom has been good, but he hasn't obviously been what he was last year. But, like, what's funny is that, like, the pitching has not quite paid off much this year. Some of the hitting... You know, you can see where it's there. To me, the, what Alonso has done is just thrilling to watch him. It feels weird that the Mets, that all of a sudden we're like, oh, here's a, here's a massive power hitting, uh, really fun first baseman just kind of landing in their laps. So it's fun to see uh, when when they get all the pitchers going, it really does work. It's still. You still wonder, though, you know, right now, like Ahmed Rosario is hitting the ball like crazy right now. If you think Ahmed Rosario is a all-star caliber, caliber uh, shortstop, uh, then maybe you think they can keep this going. I think he's in a hot streak. I think everyone's kind of in a hot streak. You like it, again? It's always fun when the mets are relevant. I'm still not entirely sold. But it's certainly more fun than having them uh, play meaningless games down the stretch.
4: Yeah, the whole league's on a hot stra—hot streak. I don't know if you saw the article <laughs> yesterday on ESPN. The title of it was the 20 most amazing and astounding facts from the year of the home run. It's like everybody's, everybody's killing it.
6: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's kind of funny. I saw a, a tweet uh, yesterday that a minor one like one minor league team had set an all-time home runs record with a month and a half left in the season. And then like in the next hour, we saw four more uh, minor league teams set that record. Obviously, yeah, you know, there's a lot of theories as to what's going on. I, I think it's pretty hard to argue there's not something going on uh, with the ball. You know, I I, I don't think it's nefarious. I don't think it's something that that uh, Major League Baseball or Rob Manfred purposely put in there, or at least knowingly put in there. But uh, clearly something's up. Uh, I mean, with the the fact that not just homers are up in baseball, but you know, this year the minor leagues switched to the major league ball, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, the minor leagues are setting a bunch of home run records. So obviously something's up. I am generally of the idea. I know there are some people that, that uh, listen, I grew up in like with like 80s Cardinals baseball of, of astroturf and stolen bases and defense, and I like that style of baseball, but. I don't know. I kind of like home runs, too. <laughs> I, I, I think that certainly when the ball's not put in play as much, I think the, the the home runs are less of an issue than the strikeouts. To me, the number of strikeouts can make the game maybe not all that interesting sometimes. But if you're going to tell me, hey, when you go to the ballpark, uh, I, Yankees and Orioles had like nine homers the other night. If I'm at a game I have to say, I'm not going to complain about that. Home runs are fun. You don't want to go overboard, but generally speaking, uh, uh, you know, I think that, that uh, it's not the worst thing for baseball if there's a lot of home runs.
4: Yeah, you grew up with Tommy Her not even having 10 home runs, but driving in 100 <laughs> RBIs. Yeah, and
6: it helps, of course, when Vince, when Vince Coleman and Willie McGee are betting in front of him and getting on base. And, like, I think a lot of those RBIs were ground outs to the second baseman <laughs> because he was, Vince Coleman had, would get on first base and Steal second and steal third, so uh, but it was just fine. You know that works. You know I think, and that's part of that was part of the thing that was fun about the game that that strategy wouldn't make sense now, right? And I think that you see that. I think uh, you know, to me, one of the things I love about baseball is the game evolves. And you know, they, and right now it's a home run happy game, and so you're seeing guys not doing a lot of sacrificing or not doing a lot of like productive outs or manufacturing runs. Generally speaking, these things tend to go in cycles. You know, I feel like uh, we, we've, all, I feel like in my, in the last ten years, we've gone to, through two or three home run panics. There are too many home runs. Wait, no, now there's not enough home runs. You know, baseball fans, and I would say this as one of the biggest baseball fans in the world, we have a tendency to, unlike a lot of other sports fans, for, uh, for people's favorite sports, uh, we're always looking for things that are wrong. We're always looking for, oh, when I was a kid, it wasn't like this. Why does the baseball do more of this? And one of the things I I kind of love with all the great young players in baseball right now, baseball is, I think, playing playing at an incredibly high level. And, yeah, there's a lot of who runs, but uh, I can can live with that if I absolutely have to.
4: All right. In the American League, it looks like it's a three-horse race for two spots in the wild card. Cleveland, Tampa, and our beloved Oakland Athletics. How do you see this race going down?
6: Yeah, it's particularly fascinating now too because it's strange that this Red Sox slump and uh, has almost kind of dropped them out of it entirely. I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for the Red Sox to kind of step up and uh, and make this happen, and they, they appear to be, if not out of it, of course, falling out pretty quick. To me, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the aggression at the deadline and what Cleveland did. I know they had to trade Bauer, and I know there were some issues with that, but for me, uh, bringing in Twig, uh, you know, and and bringing in. Uh, obviously Oscar Mercado has been huge for them bringing in Reyes that was a team that just desperately needed offense particularly outfield they were made an aggressive move without really having to give up too much so uh, I think Cleveland's in a good spot to me that next spot is, is uh, I kind of like Oakland more for that spot just because you know it's funny Oakland as a team look at the run differential that's a like I know that that, that could the that most exciting thing sometimes to talk about but clearly the 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 foundation and the fundamentals are all there for them like that that's a skill team I actually liked the Tanner Roark addition a lot you saw him pitch well against the Cardinals the other day the guy the thing about Roark he's not exciting he doesn't get you too fired up but he is a guy that gives you a lot gives you a lot of innings pitches uh, if you get six innings two three runs out of him You've got to be happy, particularly in this day and age where starters aren't going as long. That's the kind of guy you'd like to have. It's a type, type of smart little tactical maneuver that you make without actually having to give up too much to do it. That I think smart teams do. So if I were to pick right now, I think you're looking at maybe an A's at Cleveland wildcard game. But I think all three teams are relieved that Boston has taken a big step back because I think that's the team everyone was worried about.
4: And the difference this year from last year is now you have a guy if you say it's a one game playoff do you have that guy well i think the way that mike fires his pitch check out these stats his last 16 starts he's 8-0 with a 2.26 era the way mike fires has turned his season around i'd have no problem uh, one game throwing mike fires out there compared to last year going with all relievers
6: yeah and I and I think I still feel like this. Strategy of going all relievers is sound, but I understand if the A's after last year's playoff game would maybe be a little gun shy to do that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. And yeah, I think that's that's a good spot, particularly if you got someone ready. You know, the thing about the Indians now is, sure, they're counting on. Like, I'm just assuming the Indians would be in that game. The thing about the Indians is, you know, Kluber uh, may be back and maybe fine. Carrasco may be back and maybe fine. Maybe Beaver's there, but none of those guys are that like, you're not facing Chris Sale. You know, you're not facing a healthy Blake Snell. You don't, you don't have to, you in not you don't have to go in and like, oh wow, we have to get If we don't get score two runs, uh, uh, where this game's over. Like I think that that's a team that you could score some runs against if it gets there, and listen, Who's to say that uh, uh, that the Cleveland looks good enough? Maybe the Twins fall back in that spot. There's all sorts of possibilities. But uh, yeah, I don't think no matter who you play, you're not going to be facing some dominant starter. You could be in a position where well, Fiers actually is the best starter in that game, and uh, and I think that that's a good spot to be in.
4: How do you see the National League shaking down for the wild card?
6: Yeah, it's funny, you know, the the uh, it's funny how quickly things can change in a week. A week ago, you know, the Cardinals were in first place in the uh, in the NL Central. The Cubs were reeling. The Brewers were falling apart. And the Cardinals have lost five in a row, and it's opened the opportunity for uh, for the Mets. It opened the opportunity for Philadelphia and Washington. Teams that really, I have to say, the field must feel like a disappointment to the fans, particularly Philadelphia, who, with all their offseason additions, uh, additions, and they've had some, you know, they've had some injuries that have been difficult for them. I'm, I was almost afraid anyone they trade for at the deadline was going to get hurt, just because that's what's happening in Philadelphia now. But uh, it's opened the door a little bit for some of those teams. None of those teams are really terrific, right? Like I, I have to say. Uh, if if, if uh, between Cleveland, Tampa Bay uh, and Oakland, any of those teams I would consider the favorite for the NL wildcard if they had the opportunity, because I feel like they're better than all three of those teams are better, probably than any of the teams going for the Wild Card in the National League. Uh, you know, you could see uh, the thing I find interesting with the NL wildcard were the teams that were particularly aggressive. Uh, obviously uh, the Phillies were aggressive. Uh, Washington, they've had so much trouble with the bullpen. They basically just took every reliever you could find that was hanging around that they could take. Uh, I feel like that's the kind of aggression that you have to need, you have to need because this is not one of those years. You know, I remember in 2015, the wild card game was between the Pirates and the Cubs, who had won 98 and 97 games respectively. Uh, like Those were terrific teams. That's not going to happen this year. You're looking at a team that could maybe win 87 or 88 games, even potentially hosting that game. So right now, I still – Max Scherzer's hurt. and He got hurt at the worst possible time for Washington. I still feel like top-tier talent-wise, I think Washington is at the top of that. I think the Braves are really good. They'll be able to hang on to that division. I still don't quite buy the Mets, uh, and frankly, I don't really buy the Cardinals or the Brewers either. So, so maybe we're looking at a uh, if I to nail me down, I would almost say a Washington uh, Philadelphia at Washington playoff game. And well, that sounds like it might be entertaining to see Bryce Harper play at a packed Washington uh, National Stadium uh, in a one-game playoff. That sounds like uh, pretty must-see television. Oh,
4: there's no question about it. Let's end on this. What do you think of Zach Greinke's first start? And then after the game, with the uh, Astros scoring a bunch of runs, he goes. Yeah, it's kind of boring.
6: <laughs> yeah. Cranky is an original, isn't he? He has always been just kind of a fascinating guy. Really, wherever he's pitched, uh, he really—it's funny how I guess the way Houston is rolling right now, it feels like everyone is a perfect fit in Houston. Uh, like they bring in Aaron Sanchez, who's had this terrible year, and he—you know—he contributes to a no-hitter in his first game. Like everything's kind of rolling the right way for them. Uh, you know, th- there are certain organizations that have that vibe that they're that. You, when they make a move, you just kind of feel you trust it's a good one. I think the Astros are kind of in that zone right now. Granky is You know, he is an interesting cat, to say the least. He's always been a fun guy wherever he is. Uh, To see him in Houston and to see him really get the opportunity to pitch in big games in October, it's something that we really – For you know, I think – I do a series for MLB.com where I actually look back at the last decade and we rank the best 10 starting pitchers of the last decade. And Cranky has been, like, one of the best five or six pitchers over the last 10 years. But he never really gets that kind of acclaim that you see a Chris Sale or a Clayton Kershaw get. Uh, And I wonder part of that's because he's never really had his October moment. He's going to have the opportunity to do to do that with that team. I don't need to tell uh, A's fans uh, the Astros. Uh, they they they've really got something ruined over there.
4: Uh, there's no, and you know what? The sad thing for the A's, they're going to be like this for years. Yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah they're going to have to get creative, and I I think that's true. And I think what's telling too. There was a time where you wondered if the Astros would really spin to keep everyone right, like you know whether they would extend everyone, whether because uh, all obviously they had all these young players, they were all going to be hitting free agency at the same time. You wondered, okay, are they really going to pay for Bergman? Bergman, are they really got, uh, for Bergman? Are they really going to? Are they really going to play for for Altuve? It looks like they are, and I think that's the scary part, is they're being very strategic and very smart about who they keep and being able to take on the money of a here, take on the money of a Verlander. I think that's the scary part. You kind of hoped that maybe the Astros would stay in the, in the small market. It looks like they're trying to play with the big boys. I honestly, it's what, what you want your ownership to do. You just maybe wish it worked out a little better for the A's than it will for the Astros.
4: Great stuff, as always. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks. Have a good one will leach mlb.com two things that were just said right there one about grinky and one about ownership we have to address next right here on a's cast live
1: broadcasting from the town a's cast
4: live continues so zach grinky hasn't had his moment hmm Let's see. He was in the playoffs in 2011. He was in the playoffs in 2013, 14, 15, 17. Seems like he's had ample chances to have his moment for his career. Three and four with a 4.03 ERA. In five years, eight series of postseason play. I think he had a shot at his moment. Maybe, maybe Grinky needs to get carried to a World Series. Instead of being able to carry somebody, he's got to piggyback on the back of Verlander and Cole to get him his World Series. Because when he's been the guy with Kershaw, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't played out. I mean, kind of like how the Astros carried Verlander to a World Series. Oh, I, think, I think Verlander, wasn't he uh, the ALCS MVP? Uh, that
3: ALCS. Who was the World Series MVP? That was George Springer. Carried the Astros. I think uh, Verlander was pretty good in the World Series. Yes. Granky's a Hall of Famer. I will not back off that stance. All right, okay. Well, you don't have a vote. One, uh, well, I should become a baseball writer. I'll get <laughs> one soon.
4: <laughs> you don't have a Hey. We went over those career wars. He's got a
3: career war higher than a lot of guys who are in the Hall of Fame. So got a couple years left. He's only 35. And if he keeps getting runs more like he did last night and being bored, I mean, we'll see. God, you you think you'd want runs? You think you'd enjoy? Hey, listen,
4: I got to fight. Let's hear from Zach Greinke after his first start with the Houston Astros.
3: Zach, the, the bats backed you up 11 runs and Dare would have re- re- retake the lead. See when you just look at that lineup and all the names in it and what they're able to do. I mean,
1: I've seen some good games so far. Um, I was telling uh, Maldi that it kind of reminds me of back in the, when I was in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. It seemed like we scored like ten runs a game. And just, um, so it's a uh, good
2: offense and I mean, it's fun, fun to pitch with, with that going on. You got to get used to longer waits between going back on the mound. Yeah,
0: it's
4: kind of boring doing, doing that. <laughs> um, Just
7: trying to stay loose. Stay focused, not, not have anything
4: to do. Yeah, how does he fit in? He's an he's an he's an interesting guy. But bringing that arm in and bringing in Zach Greinke takes me to Jim Crane, who Will Leach just brought up about. You know, there is always the questions about what Houston... Because Houston went through a really dark period. They lost 300... They lost 100 games or more for three straight years. I remember their... um, Their cable partner went into bankruptcy. It was something weird back in the day that... that There was just all kinds of bad stuff that was around the Astros. To where now... That's not the case and Jim Crane it just shows if you want to win and you got an owner that has deep pockets and you're willing to make some very bold moves you can keep a run going for but I think Jeffrey Luno has been smart with keeping young talent and not just getting rid of his young talent but now once you have that young talent and you keep it and you sign it, then the next thing to do is, how do you improve your club? Well, take on salary. If you're willing to take on salary, that is definitely a way you can improve your club. And obviously, they gave up some, some of their prospects for Zach Greinke. But you also have to remember, and, and, and it could be the main criticism in Los Angeles, if the A's don't win. Friedman always holding on to his, product, his prospects but some of his best prospects that he could trade in theory to get some bullpen help because Canley Jansen right now does not look like the same guy. And it's kind of like what we saw with Blake Trinan earlier in the year when all of a sudden a guy would get on and they'd score and you'd be like, wait a minute, that didn't happen last year. Canley doesn't look like the same guy. So almost they needed a little insurance and bullpen arms, but they won't get rid of their prospects. Well, what good are these prospects if they're blocked? That, that's something I think, and that, if you're a Houston Astros prospect right now, there's a good chance you're blocked. So, you know what, why not use a couple of these guys and you'd be willing to take on the money and go out and get Zach Greinke and win yourself another title. The amount of money that an, a Major League Baseball franchise makes when they win a World Series, it's a lot of money. They make a lot of money. They just won a World Series. You win another World Series? Go ask the San Francisco Giants and Larry Bear how much money they made when they brought home three titles. It was like a Brinks truck just backed up and dumped money into their laps. Can you imagine if the A's won the World Series, the amount of money that would come in? And the Houston Astros right now the Houston a- people people they 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 are in a very healthy spot right now. Financially their fan base people so interested in their brand i would I, you know what i would look forward to another dodger astros world series the firepower between those two would be absolutely it's it's unreal now i had this conversation with someone earlier today they're like you know, wouldn't it be interesting to see a LA New York World Series again? Something we haven't seen. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at two guys right here. You never saw that. You never see it. it's crazy. LA when you get LA New York in any type of deal, you know, really LA and the East Coast, you say like Lakers Celtics really made the NBA what it is. But back in the day, the World Series between the Dodgers and the New York Yankees When they hooked up, it was epic. But from a baseball standpoint, if the A's are not going to be in it, I would rather see it's either going to be Astros-Dodgers or Astros-Braves. What the Braves did at the deadline, remaking their bullpen, can that be enough to overtake the Los Angeles Dodgers? Did something just bad happen there, Commander Cody? You...
3: No, I just can't believe you're not going to take a.
5: How are you not going to put the Mets in the World beat Series? The That's Step our team.
3: Right That's our NL team. You don't have them going to the World Series. I think they might catch the Braves. Mickey Calloway now signs a six-year extension. Brody Van Wagenen is now the smartest general manager ever. We do buying or selling out. his Brody Van Wagenen, the greatest team in the history of sports. Wait a minute. You just had him fired two weeks ago. That's Well, things change quickly. <laughs>
4: You know what, giving you the tools to buying or selling may have been a bad move. Because you're, 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 you you're know what, you're like a roller
3: coaster here at Six Flags. You're up one minute, you're down the next. Fire them, love them. As soon as the to lose two in a row, fire them all. Uh, yeah. Peter Wadja should go back to the minors. Let's just say Commander Cody is not even keeled. No, not all. This guy, I think I, they should clear house in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our old
4: friend Tim Kirchin is going to stop by. One of the nicest guys in the business, one of the smartest guys. As we got to break down, how does he like the A's? Does he give the A's a shot? And so much more to talk about with Tim Kirchin, the legend from ESPN. will join us next, right here on A's Cast Live.
1: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Marshall, Here's Chris Townsend.
4: A young Mickey Mantle was scary good. When you talk about a five-tool player, young Mickey Mantle, unbelievable. Guess who turned 28? Also unbelievable. Mike Trout. How do their numbers compare at their 28th birthday? Are they similar or are they not even close to each other? We'll go into that coming up here at five fifteen. And it is crazy. Tim Kirch's gonna join us from ESPN, but it's crazy. Just at twenty eight years old. How many Hall of Famers Mike Trout has already passed? It is a it it, it, it it's a pretty impressive list. What Mike Trout has done, but we'll compare Mike Trout to Mickey Mantle at the 28th birthday. It's pretty interesting. Do we have Tim? Tim, this is Chris Towns with Ace Cast Live. Thank you for coming on the program. My pleasure. How are you? We're doing great. And you know what? You were just uh, in Chicago looking at the uh, athletics and the Chicago Cubs. Is there anything better than beautiful weather and Fenway and excuse me Wrigley Field in the summer? uh nothing's better than that and we
8: got to watch the game from the stands we broadcast a game from the left center field bleachers which was a different vantage point than i've ever sat at at a major league game and it was tremendous. the weather was perfect it was a great game we don't get many great games these
4: days but we did that night it was absolutely tremendous yeah, so tell us the experience, because, you know, your career, you're you're used to being behind home plate. What is it like when you're not behind home plate?
8: Yeah. Well, on every time I keep score, which, of course, is every game I've ever been to in my entire life, and I'm 62, I always make sure I show where the ball was hit. You know, a single, whether a single, triple, double, home run, to left field to right field, I had a little trouble <laughs> a different vantage point pointing to the right field in which the ball was hit. I didn't get it wrong on the air, unfortunately, but it was, it was a little bit unusual, but it was, it was fascinating to watch a game from there. I had a little trouble figuring out whether that ball is gone or fair or foul, or whatever, but thankfully we have Dave Fleming on the play-by-play, so we got to it pretty quickly
4: yeah <laughs> And looking at this series and the Chicago Cubs, it's amazing how good they are at home as they got the athletics today and they take two out of three. They're 40 and 19 at Wrigley Field and they're only 21 and 33 away from the friendly confines. But I want to give this to you. The Cubs in 19 home series are 14, 1 and 4. Tim, they've only lost one series at home this year. Isn't that amazing? It is. And only the Marlins have a worse record on
8: the road in the National League this year than the Cubs. And that doesn't make any sense. And, of course, I had David Ross to my left for a a three-and-a-half-hour game, and I asked him multiple times, what is this? And I think the Wrigley crowd has something to do with it. The night we were there there were forty thousand and I swear to you, not a thousand people left before the end of that game. And it was festive and it was tremendous atmosphere. And maybe that is what is pushing the Cubs. And yet when you look at that road record and you know eventually they're gonna have to go on the road to play whatever it is, the Dodgers, the Braves, somebody else, they're gonna have to do a whole lot better than they've done this year. It's a fascinating look at home road because the Cubs split is just about as severe as anybody's.
4: Uh, you know, we had our buddy uh, Mark Gonzalez on from the Chicago Tribune earlier today for our A's pregame show. And it just seems like everything's not right in Chicago. And it seems like they have to go deep into the postseason. If they don't, sounds like Joe Madden won't be back. Would that be a bad move for the Chicago Cubs to part ways with him? Um,
8: well, I can't imagine how it's a good move. I think he's done a tremendous job since he's been in Chicago, but let's face it. things have really changed in the big leagues over the last five years. In fact, there's been a bigger change in the last five years than my first 35 years covered the game. And one of the biggest changes is the role of the manager, the value of the manager, and I'm just not sure we value our managers, our veterans, old kind of guys today who have a great feel for the game, a great understanding for the game. I'm just not sure they have the same value that they used to have. And Joe Madden fits into that category. And I would agree if they don't make the playoffs or have a good run in the playoffs, this could be the last year for Joe Madden in Chicago, and I think if they let him go on any level, it would be a mistake. But, again, this is where we are now in baseball. Give us a younger guy, you know, uh, maybe more embracing of saver metrics, and that's the kind of guy we're looking for today. Not the Joe Maddens, but I still think there's tremendous value in older guys that can see things like Joe Madden can.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, and I think this will be speaking your language, we really value our manager, Bob Melvin. We think the world of him, what he's been able to do since he came here. I always talk about how there was like a black cloud over the organization and Bob Melvin showed up and that black cloud blew away. You think about the way he can communicate with his players. All of his players love him. Recently, I've had Gio Gonzalez on, Sean Doolittle and all the old A's who come back still talk about how they have such a wonderful relationship with Bob, the way he relates to the players. Also, the way that Bob can implement analytics so I I know in a lot of places people may not be valuing their manager but I can tell you Tim we love our manager and we know how lucky we are to have him
8: well I think you guys love him more than anyone but it's it's a close second with everyone else because there's no reason not to love the job that Bob Melvin has done this year and really the last nine years in Oakland he is So smart, which cannot be undervalued. He communicates with people, whether it's the media, his players, owners, GMs, better than almost anyone. He has such a great touch and feel, and that's what we have gotten away from in our game is a touch and feel with players and with the game, and that's what he does so well is he understands the Saber metrics. He's going to implement whatever the front office sends to him. And yet he's going to trust his eyes and ears during the playing of the game to understand that, no, this right now is the way to go with this situation. And that's what makes him such a good manager is he handles both sides of a very complicated equation.
4: Yeah. Also very complicated. And we were in Tampa and I got to see it for myself and, you know, to see that they put an analytics guy in their dugout in uniform and that we know that simply the manager is really not making decisions. All the decisions are pretty much made for him. It's, I got to believe it's hard. I mean, obviously they're doing well, but it's got to be hard to have full respect from your players if they know you're not calling the shots. Right, and that's, that's where
8: we are in the game today. And I really think, it's imperative that the players recognize that once a game starts, our guy is in charge here. And I don't want to go too far back, but the 2017 World Series, the Astros, very, very sabermetrically oriented, had a game plan for the last three games of that World Series, and A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Astros, recognized, all right, this is the way to go, and then he changed course when he saw how well Joe Musgrove and Brad Peacock and, you know, Charlie Morton were throwing the ball at the end of those games. And he said, this is what we're going to stay with. And that's what's so good about this is that the really good managers can understand in the watching of the game, that this is where we need to go. And that's again, where Bob Melvin is so good. He trusts the analytics but he trusts in his eyes and ears and those of his coaches as much as anybody.
4: Now, we got a long way to go, I understand that, but you've covered this game for a long time. I want you to handicap it for me. If you had to pick somebody out of the National League and you had to pick somebody out of the American League, right now where we are today, who would you take?
8: Well, I love this game so much that I don't even pretend to know what's going to happen. This is not the NBA or even the NFL. There are no guarantees in this sport. But I think the Astros' acquisition of Zach Greinke has absolutely separated them from even the Yankees in the American League. I just think you win so often with your starting pitching and your bullpen, of course, in the postseason that I think the Astros are the are the team to beat in the American league right now. And the Dodgers are the clear team to beat in the national league. That doesn't mean things can change. The beauty of baseball is that it changes all the time, but those are the two best teams that I've seen at least in the last couple of weeks. And Cranky has really added something there. And I'm such a believer, like, who are you going to start in the playoffs? Which three guys are starting in the five-game series? I'm not sure you're going to beat the Dodger guys or the Astro guys at this point.
4: Yeah, and I think about Granky, and we'll end on this, Tim. It's just not, It's just not the arm that you're getting, but it's the message to your players inside the clubhouse going, boys, we're making this move because we want to win it all. Don't you think this just – for already a great ball club, it even it, it even energizes them even more.
8: Yeah, I'm a big believer, and I didn't used to be, that when the clubhouse looks around and says, oh, my goodness, we just added Zach Greinke, that tells them the front office ownership is really trying to win here. We just took on not only gave up four prospects, but $53 million. They're trying to win. Now it's up to us the players to win i really believe that has something to do with it and i think it sends a message all the way through the clubhouse and i think a similar message kind of was sent through the red sox clubhouse for instance that they really didn't get anyone of significance on the final couple days and those guys looked around and said what they don't think we can win and then i think it gets in their heads and that's i think is an important part And that's one reason the Astros did what they did, is tell everyone on the team we're here to win and we're here to win now.
4: Tim, it's always great to have you on. You're one of the best in our business. I always appreciate the time. And let's talk soon. Thanks very much. Pleasure being on. See you. Tim Kirchin, ESPN. Yeah, there is something about that. There's something about when the franchise goes out And makes a move, and they're looking. They're they're essentially telling their players, "Boys, we're going for it." Not like not like the Astros were not in it no matter what, but you just add something like that. That's a Yankee move. That's an old school Yankee move. You know what? We'll take on the salary. We'll take on the player. We'll take on another big time star to go win a World Series. That's what that's what big market teams do. That's how you should operate. When you got the money and you got the opportunity to bring it home, Jim Crane, the owner, pulls out the pocketbook and says, let's go get it because we played Jim Crane, their owner, talking about, hey, listen, financially, let's make it happen. Do you have? Do we have that, Commander Cody? Look at you. You are the best. Here's Astros owner Jim Crane talking about the acquisition, how they took on Zach Greinke
3: listen, I, I step in, I, I try not to get in the guy's way. I, I try to look at the options. I, You know, they've got guys that were counting money, we're counting players. And so, you know, I was involved for a little while. I said, listen, let's, let's go for it. If you can get it right, you know, if it's within our, you know, financial boundaries. And it's, you know, you know I think Jeff had to lean in and give up some really good prospects. Um, so we were fortunate to get it done. But, yeah, I think it, you know, it, it put us right at on the, on the dollars this year, and, you know, we're going to be a little tight next year, but, you know, uh, we'll deal with that
4: next year. Yeah, I like it. I'm going to look up Jim Crane right now, and I'm going to give it a little point here. Jim Crane's 65 years old, right? And I, I, I talk about this all the time. You can't take the money to the grave. He's already a super rich man. His family is set up for generations you know, some of these guys, some of these rich guys, they like they instead of just saying I like owning a team, some of these guys really want to win. They really want to put another ring on their finger. They want to be able to walk around at the owners meetings and say, "Yeah, I've won multiple championships." Jim Crane's down. He's in it. And if I was a super rich guy and I owned a team, I'd want to be smart, and I want to always be financially smart for my franchise. But when I smell blood and I got an opportunity, unlike what the Dodgers have done, I'm going for it. That's what this is about. It's about winning a championship. But not every owner is like that. Some owners, you know, some owners just like to own it to tell their other Rich Fins that they own a franchise. Some owners, (laughs) they're just out to lunch. And some, like over the years, you look at what the Red Sox have done, you look at what the Yankees have done for a long time, they're in it to win it. Now the Dodgers, they're stacked. And they like the fact that they've been to the past couple World Series. But at some point, you need, to, you, you need to win one or you start getting into Buffalo Bills territory. We don't look upon the Buffalo Bills as, as a great team, even though they made four straight Super Bowls. You know how hard it is to make four straight Super Bowls? That's incredible. You talk to anybody who plays football, think of how many extra games they have played. It's like what the Patriots have done. They have played so many more games postseason. Now, obviously... The players have changed all those years. But for the Buffalo Bills, that group, that core of players going to four straight Super Bowls was amazing. But you know what? We don't look at them as great. Because that's our, our society doesn't work that way. Our sports society doesn't work that way. Just because you got to the championship game four times, we're not going to look at you as winners. That's sad because they were. They had Hall of Fame players. Hall of Fame coach, but the fact that they couldn't win the big one will haunt them for. I use another football. Dan Marino, has anybody really ever thrown the ball better than Dan Marino, who's ever played quarterback in the NFL? Probably not. That guy was incredible, but he never won a Super Bowl. Now, now baseball, you don't, you can still be a great player, a la like Ted Williams or Ernie Banks what we were just talking about with Chicago. Baseball is such a team game. It's a different deal. But if you're the Dodgers and you don't bring one home, let's say you lose again in the World Series and you lose again because you didn't beef up your bullpen, shame on you. The Astros are going for it, and they're going to be tough to beat. Look at their competition. Do the Indians do enough? I wouldn't bet that. Twins? Wouldn't bet that either. I think it. The Yankees? Nope. No, it se- seemed like no one even wanted to deal with the Yankees. Okay, coming up next, a comparison. Mike Trout's an already an all-time great, but we're going to put his numbers up against a guy who, by the time he was 28, he was an absolute superstar. We'll talk about it next, right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues.
4: A's Cast Live. Thanks for sticking around today. And once again, you got to come out to Six Flags. This place is incredible. It's an amusement park that meets a zoo. They got everything you want for your families. Good food, good people. Come out and see us. We're going to be here till 7 o'clock. And I saw passes, it says what? Three times you visit, it'll pay for your pass. The signs that I saw, seems like a no-brainer to me. Okay, stats prior to your 28th birthday as Mike Trout celebrated his 28th birthday. Was that today? Today is his 28th birthday. Happy birthday, Mike Trout. So putting his stats up against the great Mickey Mantle. So these are the player's stats. Before, right before they turned the big 2-8. Games played. Mike Trout, 1,173. Mickey Mantle, 1,246. Advantage, Mickey. Remember, the best ability is availability. Can't make the club in the tub, as they say in football. Batting average. Mike Trout, 306. Mickey Mantle, 311. Advantage, the Mick. Home runs, Mike Trout, 278. Mickey Mantle, 280. Advantage, the Mick. OPS, Mike Trout, 1,001. That's just amazing. (laughs) That's just amazing. Mickey Mantle, 994. Advantage, Trout. Stolen bases, 198 for Trout, 98 for Mickey. So, it's pretty comparable. Now, Chris Russo, friend of the program, responded to this by saying, okay, that sounds great, but uh, by the time Mickey Mantle was 28, by the time he turned 28, he had 11 World Series home runs in 38 games. And he... He had had rings to where Trout just has three postseason games to put in his career. Now, obviously, a lot different back then. All you had to do was win the American League, and you got in the World Series. You didn't have all these rounds and wild card and everything. But Mickey had such an illustrious career. But that really goes to show how good Mike Trout is when you can compare him to someone like – because right after this is when Mickey Mantle, you know, the knee was bad, and he just wasn't the same player. But this is this is one of the things about Trout that's amazing is guys that he's already passed in war that are in the Hall of Fame. This includes Barry Larkin, Gary Carter, Tony Gwynn, Eddie Murray, Pudge Rodriguez, Edgar Martinez, Ryan Sandberg, Craig Biggio, Andre Dawson, and Willie McCovey. He's already passed those guys. Basically saying if he got hurt and couldn't play again, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If not a unanimous voted in, how would you not vote for him? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. So then I got Cody here. Some of the names on that list that he may pass before he turns 29. You already had Paul Muller. Did you already have Moller in here? No, you didn't. Okay. So these are the guys he's going to pass coming up here before he turns in the next year. And next, basically, the rest of this season all the way to this point next year. So he'll pass by the time he turns 29. How about these names? Johnny Bench, Paul Molliter, Robin Yout, Joe DiMaggio, Brooks Robinson, Rod Carew. If Trout puts up a 9.1 war next season, he might pass Ken Griffey Jr. That. The other night, we were talking about all-time greats, of things you have to do to become an all-time great. I'm just not talking about a Hall of Famer. There's Hall of Famer, there's Hall of Famers, and then there's the Hall of Famers. Truly the greatest players to have ever played. This kid keeps going like this. He's going to have a chance to be one of those players that you talk about top 10, top 15 players to have ever lived. Coming up next, Susan Slusser, our A's insider. How do you get all these guys out of their funk? when you're talking about Chapman and Davis and Trinan and Trevino, because the A's need them. We'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast
1: Live. Live.
4: A rough one in Chicago today, as the A's got hammered 10 to one. Susan Slesser from the San Francisco Chronicle is going to join us in moments. As the A's will have the day off. You know, a buddy texted me and said, you know, a full day off in Chicago. That might be bad news for the A's on Friday since especially it's a day game. But actually, Bob Melvin is going to tell you. Hi, Captain Lee. So they have Six Flags Radio right next to us. Okay, so Bob Melvin's gonna tell you at six thirty, the Bob Melvin show, that his players this group is not a group that is a big go out group. And I can tell you I can attest to that. Having traveled with the team a little bit, you can tell that these guys are they're going they're they're drinking water and they're going to bed. And that's a good thing. The broadcasters can be out. That doesn't hurt. It's the the players. Need to be uh, need to be a good group. Do we have Susan? Susan, how are we doing?
5: Great. How are you doing, Tony
4: I'm at Six Flags in Vallejo, having a good time, riding rides today. Oh my
5: gosh, that sounds pretty ideal. I'm in Chicago, so I might see your Six Flags and raise you.
4: Oh, I mean, come on! Is this the best <laughs> trip ever? You get to stay in one hotel room for for the entire trip. This has got to be heaven for it, you.
5: It is the best trip ever, and I've got so many friends in Chicago, so usually, you know, we're here for, like, I can see, like, somebody for lunch, somebody for brunch, somebody for lunch, one person for dinner, maybe. I have got so many uh, friends, things lined up. It's awesome.
4: You know, I, they should do this more often, and I know we've seen it a couple times. Uh, the Rangers, I want to say it was the Rangers and the Orioles went from playing the A's over to the Giants, but I, this is just what a good thing this is for a team to where you don't have to travel for a week. You get to stay in one bed. I just think this also for mental health, this would be good for, for, for teams to do this more often.
5: Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Obviously it's limited markets. We did have an Anaheim Los Angeles a couple of years ago, but you do have to change hotels. So it's, you know, you're kind of limited to just really the, the three cities to do this. In. Uh, and you know what, come back and then play San Francisco. So really, it's just one hotel for, for a three-city road trip because these guys will be back in their own beds for San Francisco. But uh, you're 100% right. It's environmentally friendly. What I would love is to get Texas and Houston on the same trip all the time. I'll take that. Yes, it's different hotels, obviously. But um, you know how seldom we do that, Townie, which is in- insane? Put them at least on the same trip.
4: Yeah, the schedule makers, sometimes you just don't get it. Let's take a trip earlier this year. Where they had the Athletics play the Angels, then travel to Texas, and then go right, all the nice way game. to
5: Tampa Bay. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just, yeah, that that, was crazy. That doesn't make sense. A, one year, I'm not making this up. You'll remember this. Uh, we went Seattle, Texas, no, Seattle, Tampa, Toronto. Yeah. The three farthest points in the American League. Who allows that? Like, who went, like, looked at that and went, like, that seems fine. And that's, Crazy. Re-
4: and that's really where West Coast teams get hosed versus the Central and yeah. also the East.
5: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the miles are just significant. You know, I covered the Rangers for two years, and no trip was really ever more than two and a half, three hours. And a lot of them were much closer. But if you're covering, say, you know, Cincinnati or Milwaukee or any of the Chicago teams, you've got so many short trips, so many short trips. It's it's really – it's, it's great. The A's, the A's don't have any short trips except for San Francisco.
4: When I think about four guys that are just really struggling, and they're just in a rut, you look at Matt Chapman, you look at Chris Davis, you look at Trinan, you look at Trevino, and when you're struggling at this time of the year, it can be pretty scary. Yeah.
5: Yeah, you know, Chapman said that after after today's game. He said, I, you know, I feel like I'm letting the guys down. Um, I really want to be helping them. This is – it's awful. You know, he took full responsibility. Bob Lovin had said, you know, look, he's still kind of dealing with that ankle and the knee thing. And he just – Chapman was not having it. He said, I kind of like, I appreciate Bob looking out for me there, but this is on me. You know, I need to get it back together. And he feels like he's having some better at bats. He's identifying pitches better. He's fouling a lot of them off. I think he's close. And you, yeah, everybody knows once he has a good game, he, he'll be off to the races. Uh, I think Davis is really close. He gets a little bit of an asterisk here because obviously he's coming off the bench. And some people have asked me about that. He's not going to play the field in a National League Park after what happened in Pittsburgh. You know, that set that him um, running into the stands, making a great catch, by the way. People like to slam him for his defense. But that was a tremendous catch. and He played really well in the field. But you don't want to lose him for a month if he gets hurt. So, um, yeah, he's, he's not going to do anything with uh, getting one, one about a game and, uh, here at Wrigley Field. So uh, I, I think he's close on his way. But I don't know what to tell you about trying and Trevino. I've talked to both of them so much. I think they are absolutely sick of me. And every other reporter comes up almost every day basically saying, what's wrong with you? They're both trying. I, you know, the one thing that really makes me mad, and I'm sure you too, County, is when fans say they're not trying. Yeah. Sometimes it's trying too much. It's often trying too much. Trinney told me yesterday he's listening to teammates. He's listening to coaches. He's listening to former teammates and coaches. and Everybody he knows has an opinion, what's going, going on with him. Uh, and it, it gets to be too much. Like, there's so much noise. How do you separate it? And you start trying all sorts of different things, you know, especially if you're a pitcher. Are you changing your mechanics? Are you changing your pitch sequencing? Are you, you know, there's a million different things that you can try to do, and then it just starts to mess with you. So uh, it's not for lack of effort, A. And they've both shown little spurts here and there of being the guy they were last year. I think that's what's frustrating. And sometimes it can be as simple as you're getting back on track and you have a couple blown calls. And, you know, you wind up with a bad outing because of a couple blown calls or something, or a guy with a hit gets a hit, a little bloop single, and the inning starts to spiral. And then everybody goes like, what's wrong with you again? Well, no, maybe that those circumstances weren't quite as, you know, wasn't quite like earlier in the season when they're legit, legitimately getting knocked around. So there's just so many factors with a pitcher when, when they're going wrong that don't necessarily factor in all the time with a hitter. And, hey, today, like with Chapman, Chintana was just on. Man, he was good. And the A's have faced some very good starting pitching lately.
4: You know, when I think about pitchers, it's so different from hitters. With hitters, you can take a million hacks in the cage. You can do whatever you want to, whatever drill you want to do, you can do it over and over again. As a pitcher, you can't do that because you'll get hurt. That's really one of the toughest things when you're not going well. There's only so much you can do to throw.
5: Absolutely. And you can't try things out in a game as a pitcher. You know, you're – you're, unless you're hurt and you get sent to the minor leagues, you cannot, you know, t- test out, like, your potentially your theories about maybe I should use this pitch more or this pitch less or maybe I need to change the, you know, try to change the action on this. Or You can't just kind of, like, throw stuff out there. You have to go with what you think has worked for you best or, you know, what your pitching coach might think is working for you best or what the analytics nowadays, a lot of times they'll say, Here's what the analytics are saying. Here's what you need to throw in this situation or to this guy, and and you just don't have the luxury of maybe working in some other things to see what might, uh, you know, might might be what actually turns things around for you. And uh, it's it's kind of you know it's tough it's tough when you're a pitcher in a rut, especially as a reliever. You know, a couple short a couple bad outings, short outings, and your ERA is out of whack, and it takes. So long to get that back. So I feel for these guys. They are trying everything, Uh, maybe too much.
4: And then taking to uh, the other end of the spectrum and going with a super positive, you know, when Mark Canna came here, rule five, we didn't really know much about him defensively. And the thought was, you know, is he a DH? Is he a first baseman? Can he play (laughs) a little third base to where he is now for the A's? as such a valuable player that he has now had to become your everyday center fielder. This is a guy that has hip hip surgery and lost a a good part of a year. Isn't isn't it just amazing to think that Mark Kanek can not only play center, he can play a good center field, and he can do it every day for you?
5: Well, you know, Tony, and I know you feel exactly the same way. The local guys are always near and dear to my heart. And him being from San Jose, maybe not from Cal, the Cal part, I, I will let that slide. <laughs> but, um, he, you know, he's playing center field. He's batting cleanup. He's been batting cleanup for the better part of a month. Uh, who would have thought either of those things? He can, He's a good outfielder. He's not a great outfielder, but he is a good outfielder. All three spots. He is not going to hurt you. Um, he can fill in fine. Um, both he and Chad Pender are far better in the outfield than I ever would have thought that they were. He was okay at third. You probably don't want to play him there a lot, maybe in a, in a pinch. He's pretty decent at first. But, man, he is okay in center. And that is – you, you think that's going to be the toughest one for a guy you could, you know, and he plays first base and third base is probably not real fast. He is not bad out there at all. So, yeah, he's, he's filled in admirably. And I love the fact he's basically getting every day played. It's not always great because it means somebody else is hurt typically or underperforming, but in this case, he's you know, he's really deserved to be the guy that's out there.
4: What do you think the real timetable is for Ramon Laureano and that shin?
5: Well, it's at least a month. We know that. Um, you know, it's, it's so hard to tell. You know, everybody heals at different rates. Uh, the, the word on it is sort of three to six weeks for a – You know, not a full um, fracture for the stress reaction, which is what he has. Um, But it could be more the side of one and more the side of the other. Of course, he hopes it's more on the three-week side, which would put him back probably maybe in a month. He'd need to go get some at-bats. But it could could be closer to six weeks. He could be looking at sometime in September. So uh, terrible timing. Obviously, he was the hottest-days player, one of the – you know, one of the more electrifying A's of, of recent years. It's so fun to watch such a fun personality, everything great. Um, but you know, sometimes when you're a go, go, go guy, that some of these things can happen. And he'd been playing with that for a long time. He said, he thought it, it happened with the turf in Japan and it's been kind of okay, treatable ish. Um, but it just gotten worse and worse and worse. And you know, if somebody like Ramon Laureano, who is absolutely going to play every day if he can help it um if he's saying like no i'm gonna have to step back you know there's a problem and then they get the MRI, and they were like oh wow okay yeah you've basically almost got a fracture in here
4: yeah that was uh that was really tough news to get and and let's go to the injured pitchers we know Puck at some point is going to come out of the bullpen and help the A's. But out of all the other injured pitchers, do you think any of them will help the A's in 2019?
5: Well, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think some of it might be performance in the current rotation. If you're talking about somebody like Manaya, certainly somebody like Cotton, who I think is not is, is not probably as much of a option at this point. Uh, Manaya I think think you know a lot of it's going to depend on his performance and a lot of it is going to be depends on performance in the current rotation if homer bailey continues to struggle on and off you know he's got he's kind of turned into a good outing bad outing kind of guy um i think Minaya might get a shot uh, if if everybody is decent in the rotation we might not see Minaya until september certainly we're going to see a lot of these guys in september right uh and and they can fill in here and there but um in august I'm not sure we're going to see any of them. Lazardo is the one I think we we're all just, um, you know, really on the edge of our seats to see. I'm not 100% con- convinced that we will see him this year. I think they'd like to be conservative with him uh, in terms of his injury, and I'm not sure they know what to do with him. I think they'd rather have him start, but I can't see them suddenly starting him in September in a pennant race when he's, you know, <laughs> 21 years old and, and has been hurt all, all season. So um, it's fascinating the number of choices they have and the number of options and uh, the talent level. uh, It's going to be fun. And I cannot wait to see Puck coming out of the bullpen. I I think that's going to be outrageous.
4: Susan, enough of this. Go enjoy Chicago for the next couple nights. It's going to be absolutely. Have a great one and uh, have a cocktail for me.
5: I will. I'm on my second glass of wine right now.
4: Beautiful. Thank you, Susan. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. Susan Slesser, our A's insider from the San Francisco Chronicle. Nice. Second glass of wine, hanging out, getting it done here on A's Cast Live. You know, we kind of broke my rule this year, and it's my fault. I'll wear it. I hate talking about injured guys. And a lot of calls that we have taken in the post-game show this year have been like, well, when they get back, well, when this guy gets back, or when that guy gets back, that's such a dangerous game to play. You never know when an injured guy is going to be back, and Jesus Lizardo has been a great example. Sean another great example. You think they're getting close, next thing you know, they're shut down again. That's why it's so tough to rely, well, it's tough to rely on guys that are injured, and it's tough to rely on young guys who are injured and young guys who really, they haven't done it yet. I mean, Manai has done it a little. I mean, he's thrown a no-hitter, sat a couple years, but you're not calling him a solid veteran, and Lazardo's never done it. Cotton, people brought up Cotton. Go look at Cotton's numbers. It's not like he was all world when he was here. So that's always dangerous when you're counting on When you're counting on injured guys to play a huge role, and that's the reason why we we saw the Bailey trade, Roark, I mean, that's why we saw them. Coming up next, this is kind of a a dirtball move. I'm going to be honest with you. I respect it. Could never have done it in my era because the technology wasn't there. But a dirtball move, but it was funny. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live
4: continues with Chris Townsend. All right, coming up here at the top of the hour, we're going to speak with Baseball Brit. British guy's going to figure out exactly what he's doing. He wants to go to 162 games. He started this thing in Japan when the A's were taking on the Mariners. And I guess he... is it going to be weird to say you're using your life savings to do this? I may not bring that up. All right, maybe I won't bring that up. But he's been getting interviewed by everybody, so we're going to have him here on A's Cast Live. Okay. Not all of us grew up with technology. Not all of us had Instagram. Not all of us had Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Facebook, Facebook. The original MySpace, we didn't have that. So Jalen Ramsey, yes, Jalen Ramsey. You,
3: you, well, you can ex- explain it, Commander, because you, you showed this to me. So Jalen Ramsey was on the "Bustin' with the Boys" podcast with Taylor Luan and former NFL player Will Compton, and they were talking to him about like what's this, like what's what's one of the worst things you've ever done when you're in college, and he went on to tell the story of how he uh, what he used to for big games was he used to um, do this. Say I was playing like a big receiver,
5: at whatever school, I would uh, look up his Instagram, see his girlfriend, whatever. Boom, boom and I. You can too, so. Yeah, I probably go sliding the DMs. Uh, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah before, before the, the game? game. Before the game. yeah.
3: yeah I like, love that, before dude. That's the amazing. Game, I, would, I would probably slide in the DMs and. He went on to say things like he used to slide in the DMs and, he, you know, he maybe see if the girl was there at the game and try to. He would talk about it to the receivers on the field and he didn't mention any of the receivers that he did it against, but some of the guys he mentioned were, there were people were speculating were Mike Williams and Clemson and Hunter Renfro of the Oakland Raiders were some of the people that he might have slid into the, hit their girlfriend's DMs and taunt them. Because, you know, Jalen Ramsey played at Florida State from 2012 to 2015. He was an all-American. You know all, all American. He was one of the greatest corners I've ever seen playing. And then he, he would psych them out by sliding into their girlfriend's DMs. I wonder if baseball players do this. Like pitchers. Zach Greinke sliding into something while he's married. <laughs> Guys that aren't married sliding into other, girl, other players who have girlfriends as DMs to psych them out.
4: Well, you're going to get into a beanball war, i tell you that. Maybe that's what happened with the Pirates and Reds. <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get some people throwing out some heads if you do that. That's pretty funny. Sliding into DMs. See, we, we couldn't slide into DMs back in the day. There's no DMs to slide into.
3: You could uh, you'd have to take your phone and do the two things that you and Ken were talking about. We're tying the two ends yeah. together to send a message. Your Morse code.
4: Well, you know what I, you know, I wonder on that is how often did it actually work?
3: True. I mean, Jalen Ramsey was. I mean, wor- it's a
4: great. He, he, he he's a big bravado guy, and if anybody likes Jalen Ramsey, it's Jalen Ramsey.
3: This is the guy brought a Brinks truck to the training camp this year.
4: So that's that. You know, he may be just telling a story and it really didn't mean much. Oh, but there's 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 been times, I'm sure of it. I mean, you had teammates ex- exchange wives. Ray Fossey will talk about I mean, it's just public. Rick Manning, who is a Cleveland Indian and was doing the it still does the television today for Cleveland. He he stole Dennis Eckersley's wife when they were teammates. Do you know that?
3: No. You never heard of that, then? No, maybe we'll ask Foss off the air how this happened. Oh no, it's public. You can go look it up. <laughs> that th- Rick Manning
4: was on the DL. Foss Eckersley are on the road, and I think I think I think Manning was living with uh, Eckersley and his wife, something like that. But yeah, Manning end up with Eckersley's wife. Eck- X talked publicly before. He said, "Yeah, guy stole my wife." So. Crazy things do happen in Major League Baseball.
3: Yeah, there's some, the, the Chris Benson story was always my favorite, the, what his wife said about if she ever found out he ever did anything. And it, yeah. There's been some crazy ones that have been out there.
4: Oh, there's been, there's been. When you have young people with that kind of money and that kind of fame, like even way back when, what, what baseball players were making was far more than what the average person was making. But nowadays, with the money being so great, young people with money, I mean, anybody with money, but sometimes when you're young and you got that kind of money, like, I can't imagine if I was 22, 23 years old and a multimillionaire. Chris See, I'm doing that. I got to do that. Can you imagine if I had $25 million in the bank and I was like 22? Oh, my God, what have been a train wreck. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine what it would be like to uh, do that. By the way, our buddy, friend of the program, Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja, just put out 13 minutes ago on Twitter, it's Garrett Cole clearly getting squeezed with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball And as he throws it, he starts to walk like he struck the guy out. Umpire missed it. I mean, just a joke. But then he follows up a 98-mile-an-hour four-seamer with a 99-mile-an-hour seamer. And this time the umpire calls it for a strike. And Garrett Cole kind of gives him that look of, is that a strike now? How about that? You're pitching on the black. At eight, at 98 and 99 miles an hour. Garrett Cole is a... This is the other thing about the Astros, is when you get a super rotation. These guys all get competitive with each other. Ace fans, you know, talk to Hudson Mulder and Zito. You start getting a group of really good pitchers, you don't want to be the le- uh, weak link there's actually a little bit of a challenge to you. Well, if Garrett Cole did this, and I'm Verlander, well, I got to do this. Well, then Greinke's got to do this. And then Wade Miley, I mean, it, it just goes down the line. I don't know if there's anybody better on the planet right now than what Garrett Cole's doing. Garrett Cole,
3: right now, where we stand, is filthy. I'm hoping he gets a 300 strikeouts. I mean, I want to see him and Verlander be the first teammate since Johnson and Schilling to do it, but it's going to be hard. Olaf oh, if... if Verlander does it. I gotta th-
4: think that's not that big of a deal. I, mean, I gotta think there's got to be quite a few teammates that got 300.
3: Uh, not since not since those two guys 17 years ago. Yeah, because guys aren't pitching as much. Yeah. But way back when. Oh yeah, it happened all the time. But I'm, yeah. But seeing those two guys do it in this era, where if Verlander does it too, he's I think 88 strikeouts away from 3,000.
4: Well, with guys striking out more than ever before, shouldn't
3: guys be getting 300 strikeouts in a yeah, season? Yeah. I mean Verlander's been, and he still has years to go. How many is he going to finish with? I mean, he, I'm going to say right now I'm put it out there he's probably not going to catch Nolan Ryan. Probably well, will well, not.
4: Wait, <laughs> stop! Hot take, sports talk, hot take. Wow, you're really going to say that on this? You're you're going to say uh, uh, on this show? I'll put show, my
3: reputation online, Garrett, that Justin Verlander will not catch Nolan Ryan in strikeouts. You are
4: a riverboat gambler. You really are. You're uh, you're crazy. And I'll say he, he, you know that. I'll
3: say this also. He probably will not have. more. He'll have less losses than Nolan Ryan did too. It's another hot take for you. God, does See, he? Seeing that Nolan Ryan won and almost lost 300 games, so
4: yeah. For remember your whole pitchers never have get decisions. Uh, Nolan Ryan did.
3: Well, he also started 48 he, games a year. Or and he, and you
4: know why he got decisions? Because he was going eight or nine every game.
3: Yeah, his numbers are just uh, it's
4: just it, it's it's so stupid when you look at Nolan Ryan. We could just do a full show on
3: Nolan Ryan. He owns half the records of the and the the Angels records. Yes,
4: so I was down at the Big A, right, when the A's were down there? And and you just forget, because did he leave – when did he leave Anaheim? He left Anaheim – yeah, so he left Anaheim in 79. So I really don't – I knew he was an angel, but look at the years he had with the Angels. Can you imagine if Nolan Ryan had played for, like, the Yankees or let's say the A's? Because the A's, pretty much, the A's had stretches in his career. The A's went to the playoffs five straight years. We're talking 71 to 75. What if he was on those teams? And then when they were going to the playoffs every year starting in 88, if he, if he would have been on those teams. Because there, there were years in Anaheim. Check this out. Nolan Ryan is twenty-one and sixteen, but he has a two-point-eight-seven ERA. He's nineteen and sixteen, has a two-point-two-eight ERA. But Nolan Ryan, three hundred and twenty-four wins, two hundred and ninety-two losses. He walked the most batters all time at two thousand seven hundred
3: and ninety-five. That might be a record he's gonna keep too. By the way, uh, Verlander's never struck out more three hundred batters in a season, so if he does it this year. He's eighty. He's ninety-four away. It'd how, be the first how, time he'd ever do it.
4: How many strikeouts does he have right now? Not
3: uh, the season, two hundred and six.
4: No, no, two thousand nine hundred twelve.
3: So he needs eighty-eight more.
4: Nolan Ryan has five thousand seven hundred fourteen. Don't think Verlander's gonna
3: catch him. You don't think right he's back. gonna catch him? You know, I, I may. I, wow. I would even. I'd put money on that if I could. You're, you're you're the biggest hot take guy in the market now. Tony Verlander has one hundred twenty-seven career wins. I don't think he's gonna get to two ninety-two, unless the Astros is. Throw him out there, and he goes oh in twenty the next five years.
4: Do you remember how still would catch him? Do you remember how old Nolan Ryan was until finally the elbow gave out? What was it like forty six? He Was forty six years old. He played professional baseball. And he, okay, he played not professional. He played major league baseball for twenty seven years. God, you know you you know you could add up plane mileage. Hotel beds. Can you imagine how much he traveled in 27 years?
3: That's a, that's truly amazing. Him or uh, who, who who think traveled more, him or uh, Jamie Moyer? Throw Julio Franco in there. He played, till He was, like, 50. Uh, Moyer didn't play 27 years, did well, he? Moyer was down when he was, like, 48, though.
4: Who am I? Oh, Tommy John played forever. There's some guy. Jim Cott played forever. Some of these guys. It's incredible we've got to find out this British guy what he's doing what is he trying to accomplish baseball Brit he's gonna join us he's doing a a global journey of baseball we'll find out why next right here on A's cast live this
1: is A's cast live your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics Marshall, Lofield, D-
4: All right, I'm uh I'm totally into Baseball Reference and Nolan Ryan right now, waiting for this Baseball Brit. Some of these numbers are so stupid. It's it's just unbelievable. 1973 at 26 years old, Nolan Ryan struck out a record 383 batters. 383. Can you imagine? And you're saying Verlander's never even had 300 in a season. This 383. And he also led the league in walks with 162. How about the next year at 27 years old, 367 strikeouts, 202 walks. That is unreal do we have joey do we have the ba- baseball brit joey mellows welcome to a's cast live how are you I'm, I'm i'm tip top thanks ever so much for having me on so what exactly is this journey that you're on that actually started with us in japan when the a's were taking on the mariners
7: yeah that's great uh, so i'm on a, a, a pretty crazy mission to, to see 162 professional baseball games uh, this uh, this year, um, the the point originally was to try and grow interest in baseball before the before the London series between the between the Red Sox and Yankees uh, in uh, June. But uh, we have the Cubs and Cardinals coming over next year, so now I'm just trying to finish this mission off and hopefully write a book about the experience and uh, grow interest in baseball back in my native Europe.
4: So how how is the journey going? Are you on pace to get it done?
7: Well, today I was fortunate I was at the Giants game at lunchtime and I've just arrived at uh, an independent ballpark in Vallejo where CC Sabato is from and uh I can do a double header today so uh you know it, it, it's days like this that really help but uh yeah the trip's gonna be pretty crazy and it's me it'd be interesting to see if I can squeeze all the games
4: in that is uh, that is pretty cool and I'm assuming you went back for when the Yankees played the Red Sox at Wembley I was
7: yeah and what a couple of crazy games they were we had uh you know, obviously the highest regular season attendance for any Major League Baseball game this season, uh, over 59,000 both days. And, uh, you know, that first game, it was 92 degrees Fahrenheit when uh, Porcello threw the first pitch, I think it was. And he gave up one out and then was six earned runs, was taken out of the game. Tanaka came in two two outs and then he gave up six earned runs, was taken out of the game. The game lasted 4 hours and 42 minutes. It was quite the introduction to baseball for, you know, for the British uh,
4: regular fan, I guess you could say. So, how was our game received back there after we did see the game of four hours and 42 minutes and the other game they played at Wembley was four hours and 24 minutes? How 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 was Major League Baseball received? I think it was received uh, overwhelmingly
7: positive. Um, you know, the, the ballpark was in a, a soccer stadium, which is uh, West Ham United Football Club's normal stadium where the Olympics were held in 2012. They, they had a certain number of days to turn it into a ballpark. They did a fantastic job. Almost every single person I spoke that went to those two games in London had a fantastic time, and it was shown on BBC Live uh, you know, behind the red button so you could click on it and watch it for free online. Um, and I think you know, baseball is about to take off in Europe personally.
4: Well, I've always thought about whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball, if they moved a team there and you're a superstar player, the amount of money you could potentially make on endorsements, like, say, a star baseball player or like a quarterback, I've always thought that would be huge. Would you agree?
7: Yeah, I mean, uh, of the two sports, the NFL is far more likely to to have a London-based team. The Jacksonville Jaguars have been over for several years now, uh, and their owner, Khan, uh, also owns Fulham Football Club. Uh, and he's tried to purchase Wembley, which is where the England national soccer team plays. So I think it's very likely that the NFL will move uh, or at least have a London-based franchise in the next five years. But baseball, I'm not so sure. You know, uh, that's a much longer process in terms of educating people about the sport and introducing it to them um, through media. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But NFL, I think, is pretty likely.
4: Yeah, I was just back there last year with the Oakland Raiders and uh, – I'll be there later this year when the Raiders are taking on the Bears, and I agree with you. Seeing the fan support there for the NFL, I I think it would definitely work. Uh, Getting back to you, how tough is this journey for you from a standpoint of travel?
7: um i mean what i'm doing is watching baseball every day so you know for the listeners there's nothing tough about what i'm doing at all i'm very fortunate to be in this position uh there is a lot of trust that takes place uh you know for i've been sleeping on a guy's floor in oakland for the last five nights and uh you know not a bed or anything just the floor but uh i'm very fortunate to be in this position there's nothing tough about it i'm excited to be driving down to uh la and then san diego later this week and uh as I said, I hope to write a book about the experiences, but there's so many crazy things that have happened on the road that I don't put on my Twitter account. So, yeah, just uh, just thrilled to be watching baseball on a regular basis.
4: Yes, and your Twitter account is at BaseballBrit. Will you go to every single Major League Baseball park this year?
7: I will, yeah, and I'm saving Toronto the Blue Jays till last because I'm worried that the U.S. immigration officers may get very suspicious about why I'm re-entering the country again. So, yeah, the Blue Jays will be September the 27th to the 29th as the season ends. And if I can get back to postseason, if your immigration officers let me, then that's the plan. But if not, I'll have to head home and just start writing this book up and uh, reflecting on a lovely year.
4: Oh, we gotta get you into the postseason. We gotta get Major League uh, we Baseball. We gotta get Major League Baseball to pull some strings here. <laughs>
7: If you can help at all, that would be awesome. But uh, if not, I'll go home and I'll still have a lovely time. So, yeah, no worries either way.
4: Traveling around, what's the, what's the, maybe good, maybe bad, but what's the number one thing you've learned about Americans traveling all around our country?
7: You know, without, you know, needing to sound too small to but uh, the average American is incredibly warm and friendly and uh, honest and open and accommodating and, you know, perhaps sometimes, you know, more trusting than I'd expect them to be. But, uh, yeah, it's just been the people I've met on the trip. It's always the people you spend time with that you know make you know time on this planet enjoyable. So I've met so many wonderful baseball fans and people that have like let me stay on their sofas or in their garages or whatever. Just let me sleep in the car on their drive. Uh, you know, whilst I'm trying to get through this crazy journey I'm doing. And uh, for me, that's always the best thing about the trip is the people you talk to and meet on the way.
4: And of course, you you get to learn about baseball families and whether it's fans or it's organizations how much our game is really a family game
7: yeah and it's so different from the soccer that I got brought up on back in England I'm uh, my father was uh, was a professional soccer player um, and I grew up around soccer players and going to my local soccer club it was established in 1898 which is very old by American standards and you know, it's, it's pretty much 90% men and they're drunk and it's, it's pretty aggressive and tribal. And, you know, you come out to a ballpark here and it's so warm and welcoming and there's kids and families and as many women as men. And, you know, it's, it's something for the community to kind of come, you know, come together at and have a lovely time together. So, you know, that's for something I've really enjoyed, just how, how baseball brings people together, really, regardless of where you're from or what your background is.
4: How possibly can my fan base help you out?
7: His fans, uh, I mean, I was at the Coliseum. The Coliseum, for me, it, it's one of my favorite ballpark experiences. It's, it's grungy, it's grimy, it's, it has imperfections. Of course it does. But the fans that are there are so passionate. Uh, they've got the music, the drums. They're really behind their team. You know, The A's have always been a fairly unorthodox team in terms of how they put a roster together. We have a very large Oakland uh, Athletics fan base back in the United Kingdom. And they're a team I really hope more people back in Europe you know, get behind. Uh, because I think they're doing things in a kind of, you know, grassroots way, from t- uh, you know, from bottom to top rather than from top to bottom. And I fully I
4: really support them, and I hope, they, you know, I hope they get to the postseason this year. Joey, we really appreciate your time. Good luck on your journey. And when it's all said and done, we'd, have to lo- we'd love to have you back on and-, and to hear that you made all 162. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Baseball Brit. Follow him on Twitter, at Baseball Brit. All right, now I get it. Pretty cool. Why not? Spent all these months in the United States, traveling around, getting to see all the great cities that we have, going to every single Major League Baseball ballpark. Pretty cool. He said something about the A's game there that I want to get back to that I know some people have complained recently, and I don't get it. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live
1: to A's Cast Live. Live.
4: Here's Chris Townsend. Maybe I've just gone to too many games and I don't notice. But for some reason, the drums at our ballpark bother some people. They complain. Other franchises, like when they're listening to the television, they can't, they like, what? Was it Houston? Like people were weighing in from Houston going... What's up with the the drums? And it gets brought up, and it actually got brought up last homestand. And I went, you know what? I don't even notice it now that I think about it. It's one of the great things that we have. One of the great traditions that we have. Trust me, if you're if you're if you don't like the A's drums, oh, you should see what they do in Japan. They got full on bands there. Their drums are so loud. And they have chance. You know what I have? I may, I may still have that in my phone if I can find it. Because this year, this time when we, when we were in Japan, I went down the left field line and I went into, I went into uh, left field, and you know all these Japanese guys next. You know they look at me and they're like, you know, what the heck are you doing out here? And then one guy spoke English, and I said, hey, I, I, I want to tape. Your chance, is that okay? And then when he told the band what I wanted to do, they all got fired up and they started playing louder, and I recorded it, and it's so it's so much fun. It's like college football. They have a different chant for every single guy that comes up to the plate. And then once the A's would come up to the plate, once again, this is when the A's were playing Japanese teams. Because when you go over to play Japan, where you go over to play in Japan, I should say, you end up playing two Japanese teams. But it was funny, it's like they've got chants for each one of their guys. <singing> and the drums are going, and then the Ace come up and it's dead silent. <laughs> so I can imagine when the two Japanese teams play each other, one band's in right field, one band's in left field, and they have all their chants. I mean, it's festive, it's great, and that's what we have. But for some reason, there are some baseball fans who do not like the drums. And I think it's just, it's ridiculous. Okay, Cody, something is, let's face it. Oh, there it is. We have breaking news. Live from the ABC Sports Desk in New York, I'm Chris Townsend. So it looks like all the home runs given up all the losing, all the stress has finally hit the Baltimore Orioles.
3: They, uh, by the way, they, they remember when we were talking about that record. Uh, they had 41 home runs given up to the Yankees this year. Uh, that record has been broken. They have 50 now. As the Yankees, they've hit the Yankees have hit nine home runs in the last two days. They have three tonight. 50 home runs hit against the Orioles.
4: The Yankees have hit 50 home runs off the war off the, off the, off the Orioles this year. That's
3: correct. 50. How many more games they got? Uh, I think there's like. I think it's four games remaining, four or five. <laughs> Can you imagine giving up fifty home runs to one franchise? And you still got games to play. And you still got games to go. By the way, the Orioles are thirty-eight and seventy-five. Let's give some context here. They're they're pretty bad. Thirty-eight and seventy-five, getting
4: hammered every night. You're gonna break the re- you're gonna shatter the record by the Cincinnati Reds. Two fifty-eight. Two fifty-eight was that in twenty sixteen. So what possibly could go wrong here? What happened?
8: In the Orioles' dugout, you had some serious drama. Chris Davis being held back as he was going after someone.
1: And Davis out of this game now. You could see Chris Davis
2: well, we don't see who he was going after, but uh,
3: that looks like Mark Trumbo holding him back, along with hitting coach Don Long. So Mark Trumbo, or uh, sorry, Chris Davis, went after Santa Rosa's own and manager Brandon Hyde. So the Orioles dysfunction in the their own clubhouse. Uh, you know, it's just
4: the player going after the manager.
3: Stuff happens every year. Now, Chris Davis is having a good year. I mean, he's hitting 182. He's... Hey, like, that's an improvement. We're really living up to that contract he signed a couple <laughs> years ago. 182. I mean, that's actually
4: a, that's a total improvement.
3: Remember when? Remember when he had that? They um, he had the hitting the hitless streak for those like 50 at bats where he didn't have a hit. Yeah. That, that 182. That's, I mean, if he gets to the Mendoza line, he might he should be comeback player of the year if he gets there. Because we heard we were listening to something earlier and they were talking about how do you define comeback player of the year? Chris Davis getting a 200. Chris Davis of the Orioles. That is. Getting 200 might be comeback player of the year worthy.
4: Going after the manager was a bad look.
3: Um, there's, oh, by the way, they're 17 and 40 at home. So they're the opposite of the Cubs. I mean, that's just
4: no one's going to games. They even they even had an article out earlier this year about should they should they even be playing in Baltimore anymore? Baltimore is struggling as a town. I, I was there during football season. It's just it's it's rough sledding right now in the city of Baltimore, which there used to be a thing called the Oriole way. And the Orioles were one of the great franchise, the battles that the A's had with the Orioles over the years. But the Orioles were, were a no joke franchise for a long, long time. And now to think that they haven't been good. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they they, they had success with Buck Walter. But this 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 stretch is going to be bad.
3: They're up to 232 home runs allowed, so they're closing in on the Reds. They might be. They might. It's break, August 7th. <laughs> they might break the record by the end of the month. It's August 7th. No, what's the parallel between both those pitching staffs? Dan Straily was on both of them. I'm not saying he's. Dan was, the man. He gave up uh, what, like 20. He was leading the Orioles all year this time before they DFA'd him, and then he was leading. I think he was one of the. He was the Reds' best pitcher that year, but he also gave up the most home runs, I believe, <laughs> at the same time.
4: Dan the K man. <laughs> Dan Straily, when he was with the A's, had the most strikeouts in the minor leagues, and everybody's like, "You gotta call this guy up; he's amazing." And they called him up, and he at times had good games, but it wasn't, it wasn't like you're bringing up Nolan Ryan. So wh- whatever he was doing to strike out all those guys in the ma- in the in the minor leagues wasn't working in the
3: major leagues. So I don't know what happened to Straily, but 2016, 31 homers; 2017, 31 homers. Uh, 2018, 20 homers, and then this year before he got a cut, 22 home runs given up. Uh, not a good run there for Dan Straley. Although, like I said, he led the Reds in ERA. He was our best pitcher. He's 14-8 with a th- 14 wins. That's big with a 3.76 ERA. But the 31 home runs given up, not good. That is not
4: good. I can't believe that they're going to give up the home run record with by probably by the end
3: of the month. And the guy that pitched today was our best pitcher, John Means, who just came off the IL. And he gave up three home runs. He is like a th- He's only got an Orioles South that is anywhere close to an ERA under four, and it's at 336 right now.
4: You know how toxic that must be going to work there every single day?
3: Uh, the, the one si- silver lining for me with them is they hired two guys. And we talked to Sigma Dell from, from the Orioles. He's a Bay Area guy because they assistant GM. They have two guys that they hired from Houston that could hopefully help turn it around there because their farces is not very great. We saw they didn't get very much at all for Manny Machado, uh, using El Diaz. Was supposed to be the guy they were supposed to get back, but he hasn't really done anything. There, they got Adley Rushman in the number one overall pick, but we saw what happened the last time. They took a catcher very high. That was a switch hitter, so it's a uh, tough sledding to be an Oriole fan right now.
4: Well, the uh, the Orioles are going to do what the Astros did. They're going to strip it down to nothing, be awful, try and hit on their draft picks, and hope in you know three, four, five years you're now competitive. And once you once you feel you have a young core then you can start spending money and bringing in some veteran guys to help out. But the Astros lost 100 games for, it, three straight three straight ye- years? Three in a row. Three straight years. So, th- that's the, – the, the Orioles are looking to do what the Astros that, – that, that, unfortunately, is the new model for a lot of people. Thank God that's never the model for the A's. That's what, you know, people think, like, oh, the A's rebuilt. The A's never go full on tank job. That's why they're never – I mean – They'll go a couple of years being bad, then they go a couple of years being good. But never where you just strip it all down and you're just
3: terrible. Billy didn't, really be, Billy didn't believe in the rebuild. The Orioles lost 115 games last year. Do you, think they get, do you think they lose more than that? The Tigers tied the record with, what, 119 back in 03? And then three years later, they were in the World Series with Jim and Leland. But 115 losses last year. They're at 75 right now. What do you
4: say if you're the postgame guy?
3: Well, we talked to one of them, but it was Rick Dempsey. Yes, so
4: I wanted you to get an actual post-game guy, and you got me the great Rick Dempsey, who's a world champion, multi-time world champion, and he does TVs. He doesn't take calls. I'm talking about the guy who's on the radio after. I what got, do you
3: talk about? I got that guy's number. We should try to effort to get him. Up. Now, with all this going on, I think this oh, is Oh, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do? How,
3: how, how do you prepare for your shows? I, w- I wouldn't even know how to do post game. Well, hey, the Oreo. Hey, you know we lost tonight, but if we did give up five more home runs. We're closing it on that record.
4: Well, and, and and you truly know the guys that are on this team are not going to be here. So it's not like this. It's not like the guys that are on your team right now are the guys
3: that you're building with. Yeah, and you, it, you feel bad for our guy, friend of the show, Trey Mancini. I was hoping he was getting traded. He got, he has the only run tonight. He hit a home run. Did he? Yeah. The great Trey Mancini, by the way, friend of the program. I went back and looked. The Astros lost 106, 107, uh, 111, and then 92, and, and then they won 86, 84, 101, 103, and they're 74 and 40 right now. Oh man! They, at one point, they they only they had uh, I think it was the year they lost 111 games. They only had one guy in the roster making over a million dollars.
4: Well, there, there's one thing when you're bad. And I can tell you, I haven't done postgame for bad teams. I've done, I've done postgame for bad A's, Raiders, Warriors. But the thing what you start doing, you start looking to the future. But right now, the way Baltimore is, you can't look. It's not the future. This isn't their future. Get me the Orioles radio postgame guy. I want to talk misery with him. Who I'm not going to talk misery with is the skipper, Bob Melvin. The Bob Melvin Show is coming up next right here on A's Cast Live.
8: Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is over Oakland, I listen to A's Cast Live.
1: Now back to A's Cast Live. Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
4: Each week on Tuesday, you're going to get the Bob Melvin Show. But we switched it up this week because we knew that we were going to be here at Six Flags and have a full show. So we taped the Bob Melvin Show yesterday and got into a lot of things about his ball club as the A's had just lost a tough one the night before in Chicago. Here is the Bob Melvin Show exclusively heard on A's Cast Live and A's Cast. And it's now time for the Bob Melvin Show presented by NestBedding.com. NestBedding.com right now is a great special going. They'll take 10% off the entire order when you use the code athletics inside the cart when you're buying your bed at NestBedding.com. So that's 10% bed, pillows, sheets, the whole deal, NestBedding.com. Bob Melvin joins us from Wrigley Field. Skip, how we doing today?
0: Doing okay. Lost a tough one last night, but we came back nicely, and really we're about a quarter of a swing away from from getting the lead there with Marcus Simeon flying out to the wall. So, you know, we got a little momentum late in the game. We feel good going into tonight.
4: You know, the thing about your team, and it's really been the hallmark ever since you've been here, is that your team's going to play all 27 outs. They're going to grind it, and even in a tough loss, there's been a, you know quite a few tough losses this year. What is it about your squad where your guys never give up?
0: Well, I think offensively we've kind of played into that. And, you know, it's been for a couple years now. It's all the walk-off wins we've had in Oakland and all the late-inning late dramatics. So, you know, even we get down four runs yesterday, even though we weren't doing anything offensively other than just Marcus's home run, uh, once we got into their bullpen, we had a pretty good feeling. And I thought, you know, everybody thought we were going to finish it off. We just came up a little bit
4: short. You know, Marcus Simeon, the way he's been playing lately, the way he's been playing all season long, and the fact that he plays every single day, I, I, I know you love your shortstop, and the fan base absolutely loves him. a local kid. Obviously, both you guys are Cal Bears, but just talk about just how Marcus Simeon such a pro, and he brings it every single day for you.
0: Yeah, he's a pro's pro, and, and it rubs off on our guys. You know, sometimes if guys get a little run down or whatever, they take a look at Marcus and watch him work every day and watch how he prepares for every game and how he's ready for it physically, mentally, Uh, he gets his sleep, he eats well, he works out in the gym, he he just does everything that you you would hope for a guy uh, to do at, at the big league level, and he's ready to play 162. He wants nothing, you know, about a day off, so he's a good resource for everybody here.
4: So Nick Martini grew up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, about 45 minutes northwest of Wrigley Field. He has that great at bat last night and then hits the jack. I don't know if you got to see it. You probably didn't. He had a ton of family there, and they went absolutely berserk when he hit the home run. His sister's like crying and look at people going, that's my brother. Did you get a chance to even see any of that?
0: Yeah, we knew about it, and, and boy, you know, it's even though we were down in the game, you have to reflect and and understand what just happened. I mean, I got goosebumps on that one, and he put together such a great at bat like he typically does. You know, one of the last things maybe you expect him to do is hit a home run because he's not a home run hitter, but, you know, got himself into a position where he got a breaking ball that sped him up a little bit and, and put a good swing after literally wearing out C-Shack. So. Uh, to get to that point, but we did know about it. I didn't see it firsthand. I saw some of the video later and more that, 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 yeah, you know, baseball can be great and there's some great stories and some subtle stories within a game. That was really, really terrific last night.
4: Yeah, that, that was, that was a lot of fun seeing that and uh, watching the sister cry and just mom and, uh, it tells you why baseball is so special. For you, being back at Wrigley Field, you played a lot of your career in the National League. What's it like for you to go back and visit truly one of the great venues in all of American sports?
0: Yeah, I was trying to figure out when the last time I was here, and there's so many, you know, they have such upgrades here. If you see the clubhouse now, it's completely different than it used to be. And you look out on the field and the scoreboards and the LED boards, and they have more, you know, seats on the buildings across the street. So it's been a while since I've been here. We did, you know, as with the Diamondbacks, we won a division series against the Cubs back in 2007, um, and I think the last time I probably here was 2008 or 9. So it's been a while, but this is this is hollowed ground, and and you really feel like you're playing baseball in a in a museum. Um, you know, with the history and everything that comes about. Our guys were really excited about getting here yesterday and taking batting practice and. And kind of seeing what Wrigley had to offer. And then we have an exciting game on top of that with a packed house on a Monday night. So it's a pretty good place to play.
4: And what's what's so fascinating about Wrigley Field is how it can play. Like you can play three, four straight days at Wrigley Field. And each day the park can play different. Talk about how wind blowing in, wind blowing out. Like the park is just different on a day-to-day basis. And you never know when playing in the Midwest
0: yeah it's the pebble beach of, of of baseball parks, and you know when it blows in they'll they'll play a little bit differently they'll They'll take those shift bunts and they'll try to play a little bit more small ball and when it's going out, they just try to swing up and get it in the air as you saw some balls go out last night so it it is two different parks when it's blowing in and blowing out, and when it's blowing in you know is 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 well known as it is for home runs here. Unless you hit a line drive topspin, you're not going to get it out when it's blowing full scale in. So, you know, last night was one of those nights it was blowing out. Uh, I haven't been out there to say what the conditions are today, but it is two different parks depending on the wind.
4: How nice is it that you're on a road trip, but you're never going to have to leave the same hotel? You're going to be at the Ritz the whole time. This is something that a lot of you have never seen before in your careers.
0: Yeah, I've never experienced it. You know, we've had an a L.A. and Anaheim trip, but we had to, you know, move hotels. But this is the first time we've stayed in the same hotel for a week and, and have an off day in the middle of it, too. So my understanding is there's some pretty good uh, restaurants here in town as well. So <laughs> we're going to get a chance to. To go see, you know, maybe frequent a couple of those. We have some day games. We have an off day. So it's it's a nice week-long trick, trip that I've never experienced before.
4: Yeah, it's crazy. You got a day game, then you got an off day, and then you got another day, ga- a Friday day game. You got three straight nights you can have fun in Chicago.
0: No doubt. And then sometimes, you know, in the past, maybe that was a little bit of a concern. You know, you always worried about coming in here, especially day games after night games with all there is to do late at night here. But, you know, our group of guys is uh, a little different nowadays. You don't have the guys going out as much and doing all that uh, to where you're, you're walking in at four o'clock in the morning and playing a day game. So. I'm not as concerned about this crew, but uh, the fact that they get to go out, a lot of the families are here, they get to spend some family time and and really experience the city. It's kind of cool.
4: Matt Chapman is really in a rut right now. How do you get him back on track?
0: He'll be fine. I mean, you know, everybody goes through a rut at at some point in time during the season, and, you know, his one hit in his last, what, 25 or whatever was a game-winning homer off of Josh Hader, so – You know, we have some guys picking him up like he does our team. He's literally a guy that can carry a team on his back for a while. So, you know, maybe in a little bit of a rut, we don't worry about him too much. Uh, I'll take his one good game. He'll be back doing what he normally does.
4: I think of a guy who's an absolute godsend for you, and he was a Rule 5 pick. Who knew that he'd be so valuable all these years later when he first came to the A's? Mark Canna was a guy you thought, ah, maybe D.H., play a little first. Kenny play third? He's now your everyday center fielder. He's also a guy that had hip surgery and, and missed quite a bit of a season a couple of years ago. I, mean, I would have never thought of Mark Canna as an everyday center fielder. What's that like for you to be able to put him out there every single day since Ramon Laureano has been hurt?
0: It really is. It's amazing. I mean, it's, you know, when we first got him here, and watching him play a little first, a little outfield, you're thinking maybe D.H. And, you know, he's worked really hard to make himself a, a very serviceable first baseman. He plays all the outfield positions. And his defensive metrics in center field are now plus. So it, it takes a lot of hard work to do that. He's got that bone in him for sure. Um, but to do what he's done here this year, and when Matt Olsen's down, he's playing first. When Stephen Biscotti's down, he's playing right. When Chris Davis was down, he DH'd, and I think it's five home runs in like 12 games. And now, uh, you know, Lord down, and, and he's playing center field for us and be, still being productive offensively. Not an easy job. Uh, he loves it. He embraces it, and he's one of the best in the game at being able to do what he does.
4: Well, I think of two of the guys that you have, Mark Cannon and Chad Pender, you know, Pender, you can put anywhere on the diamond also. In today's baseball, as a manager, where you're going to have 13 guys in your bullpen, just how valuable is it to have two guys that can play anywhere, but not only play anywhere, but they're really good at wherever they play defensively?
0: Yeah, and the production on top of that, both of them home run hitters and guys that are impact bats. You don't, you don't normally get guys like that. And, you know, you see a lot of guys that are versatile in today's game, but... You know, being able to have two guys like that, uh, you know, when you have a bench of three guys in a, in a, in a National League game is, is really important. Not only giving guys days off, um, but, but being able to go in there and produce on a non-everyday basis, that's a really tough job. And uh, they're both prepared for it. They understand how we do things here and, you know, couldn't be happier with, with their production and their performance.
4: And you brought back Dustin Garneau, and he paid off dividends right out of the gate. Uh, His first game back was was huge. When you talk about bringing in another catcher, how important is it that he had been here before, knows you, knows the clubhouse, understands how you guys do business? How important is that?
0: That was huge. And, you know, kind of a subtle move, but, but huge for us. One, he, you know, he's got the Fullerton thing, so he gets along with all these guys here, and they love him, and he fits in really well. But I hate breaking in new catchers every year, and, and you've got to feel like you have some control, and the, the catcher that goes out there has the game plan, understands the signs that I'm giving him. You know, It's kind of like a, there, there's a hidden kind of language between the manager and the catcher during the course of a game, and you know, getting his input during the game, uh, it, it's very important. So to be able to get a guy that we've had here, before and, and knows how we work here was really important. And like you said, it paid it paid off in his very first game.
4: Yeah, I, a lot of people don't think about this, but that relationship between the manager and the catcher, especially when the manager is a former catcher, this is that's your position. This is what you did. This was your living. Talk about how that relationship goes about between a manager and catcher, especially when the manager is an ex-catcher.
0: Yeah, it's you know catchers are really you know the reason you've seen so many catchers in the past that are managers is because they're forced to watch the game like the manager does. There's so much communication, you know when you when you're on the field with the manager, whether it's throwovers, whether it's slide steps, pitch outs, you know inside moves, pick plays that we do, um, understanding you know what 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 the scouting reports are going to be on hitters. It's it's really important and and when I don't have a guy that i can rely on it just feels like there's not a lot of control out there so um it you know it's it's sometimes we we churn some guys and we have to break in some new guys which take some time um but when you have that kind of relationship and he watches the game the way you expect him to the kind of the way that you do it makes it really easier and you just feel like there's a lot more control going on in the game so dustin's a perfect fit for us
4: Let's end on this. So after you get done with Chicago, you're going to come back and you're going to have a day off on Monday. And then you you start a stretch. That's unbelievable. It's two against San Francisco over at their yard. It's four against Houston. It's three against the New York Yankees. Those are all at home. And then the Giants once again at home. So you go Giants on the road, then four at home against the Astros, three at home against the Yankees, and two at home against the Giants. This talk about this stretch, this is going to be no day at the beach.
0: no, but you know what the schedule sometimes you have some challenges and and the great thing about this team is we don't worry too much about what's going on next week. You know they just worry about now, and the Cubs are a really good team, so you know we have our work cut out for us here is which you saw last night. um you know we were talking about the same thing we went to Houston, we went to Minnesota and you know, as the season goes along, it's going to be every, every series is going to seem more important. We're going to be talking about the importance of the series in certain stretches. So um, I, I think what, what we really like to do is insulate in what we're doing right now, and then we'll take each series individually and expect to win those games. But, you know, if you, if you look at it in totality, it, it's a pretty, pretty severe stretch. But, uh, you know, right now we're worried about the Cubs.
4: Yeah, I got to tell you, we also interviewed Sean Doolittle, your former player. As he's in town with the Nats, taking on the San Francisco Giants, he said to say hello, and he talked about how much you meant to him and his career. The relationship you have with the ex-players has got to be one of the real special things about your job.
0: It is, and and I, you know what, when we we trade a guy or we, you know, somebody goes free agency or whatever. it it it, there's a little bit of pain in that and and there's so many guys that have been here that I've had great relationships Sean Doolittle is one of them you know we still text back and forth during basketball season Cal and Virginia had a home and away last couple years and you know we like to needle each other as far as that goes so we're we're very you know two three months go by it's, it's rare that that we don't at least text each other and you know the way he came up in our system and you know, went from single A to double A to triple A to the big leagues and, and pitching the seventh and eighth inning in playoff games. His first year on the mound was, was pretty sensational. So uh, there are certain guys that you have a little bit more affinity for. He is definitely one of those guys. And a free spirit guy, too, on top of that. He fit in very well
4: with the Oakland A's. Great stuff, Bob. We truly appreciate it. And uh, enjoy Chicago. Get some victories. And we'll see you next week.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, County.
4: Of course, nestbetting.com is the sponsor of the Bob Melvin Show. That's nestbetting.com, And if you go there right now and use the coupon code ATHLETICS, you're going to get 10% off the entire order, just not the bed, but everything you get, 10%. Use the coupon code ATHLETICS. Go to nestbetting.com. Coming up next, well, this is the last segment from Six Flags as we're closing up at 7 o'clock. And we'll close it out with buying or selling next right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris
2: Townsend.
4: Oh, yeah. We're in Vallejo. Six flags. We got to do this more often. I'd like to come back, bring my kids. What's up, Cody? Ready to go?
1: It's time for buying or selling. sell so, so. right
3: now with Chris Townsend on Ace Cast Live. I agree with you, Tony. I think we do need to come back here. It's been a good it's been a fun day here at Six Flags. Discovery Kingdom seeing the dolphins. I heard giraffes were around. No, see, I saw I, the giraffes. I didn't get a chance to go walk around and see all the different I animals. saw twin lions. They're twins. Yeah, I didn't get to see any of that. I was working. On what? Uh, I, I have a show to prepare for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Hot Shot. What do you got? Okay, well, uh, since some of these I wrote yesterday and we didn't get to them, so I'm going to use them today. Uh, but Since the All Star break, Vlad Guerrero is hitting 356 as going into yesterday. He had uh, five homers and 24 RBIs. Vlad currently has 13 homers and 49 RBIs on the season with a 279 average. Remember, he hit 91 home runs in the Home Run Derby. Then Bo Bichette comes along, son of Dante Bichette. He is—he had his ninth extra base hit in just his eighth game the other day, tying Trevor Story and Alvin Davis for the most in Major League Baseball history. Bichette going into yesterday was hitting 4 17 with three homers and four RBIs in four games. Buying or selling Bo Bichette will have the better—will have a better career than Vlad Guerrero Jr. Wow! That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Small sample size theater. Um, the thing that scares me about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the fact that he could eat himself into a DH role. So I'm going to buy Bo What I've seen by Bo Bichette looks like a legit. He's got the baseball body. I'm just looking it up now, he's six feet, 185. So he's young, he'll get bigger, but I mean, six feet around, you know, 190, 195 around there, he can absolutely fly from what I've seen. And he plays a premier position, plays shortstop, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, because I know
3: everybody's been all about Vladdy Jr. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to buy Bo Bichette. Let's look into the future. Will he hit more than 274 home runs, have a 299 career batting average, and will he have over 1,141 RBIs? That's what his dad, Dante Bichette, did in his career. What the 5.7 war? I don't know how that's possible, but. So much of those numbers are Coors Field. (laughs) But the 5.7 war, I mean, my child has a 10 point something war this season. So.
4: I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go Bo Dante didn't play a long time. Remember, Dante didn't come up till he was like, what, 26, 27,
3: 24. He played 14 years in the league. His best. He year came was, up at 24. His best year in the league was 95 when he had 40 homers and 128 RBI. Where was he playing Coursefield. field? <laughs> okay. Uh, this kid's 21. I'm taking Bo over daddy. I'm taking Bo over Vladdy. All right. So I've been wanting to get this you kind of addressed it earlier, but you know, different audience. Yeah, when it, when I said this, yeah. if you're still listening, God bless you, because this was hours yeah. ago. So uh, we talked about Josh Bell struggling since the All Star Break, and he has no home run since the All Star. Member of the Home Run Derby, Matt Chapman struggling, also member of the Home Run Derby. Jock Peterson, he got benched just like Josh Bell did, struggling since the Home Run Derby. Buying or selling the Home Run Derby curse? Buying,
4: because it happens. Was it Bobby Abreu? Bobby Bray, Josh Hamilton. So I'm bu- I'm buying the home run derby curse, but I'm like Matt Chapman. Uh, you win that thing, you get a million dollars.
3: Yeah, I love that. I think it's a great incentive to get these guys to do it. So the Dodgers are on the p- pace to win their seventh straight West title. They've been to the World Series the last two years. They've lost both times. Um, they haven't won a World Series in 31 years. I wasn't even born the last time they won. And they probably will have the NL MVP and NL Cy Young winner on their team. Buying or selling? The Los Angeles Dodgers will become baseball's version of the Buffalo Bills. I am buying.
4: I am so buying that, but they got to get through the Atlanta Braves first. True. Because that's the thing. If you want to be, no one wants to be the Bills, but if you want to have the success, as we talked about earlier, the Bills making it to four straight Super Bowls is absolutely incredible. Now, they didn't win any of them. But it was still incredible to make four straight Super Bowls. So L.A. has to get to the World Series and lose for him to be. But I'm, I, I, I'm buying. All right. So because I think the
3: I think the Astros would beat them in the World Series. And if you lose yeah. three straight World Series. I, I agree. I think I think if they don't get it done again. It's sad, sad to say because I want to see Ryu do well and Bellinger, the yellow, the home run derby. Are you a Dodger They're, guy. No, it's like the Bellinger yellow uh, MVP race is really good. Now the giveaway stuff left. Yeah, you missed it. So on July 31st, uh, Pete Alonzo put out a note to Mets Also Mets, struggled. Also struggled. For a while. Yeah. Now he's just gotten hot again. He had the home run derby curse. Well, I feel like since we're talking about the Mets, it's only fitting to. So on July 31st, the day of the trade deadline, Pete, Pete Alonzo put out a statement. And he put it out, putting with LFG, wait, am sorry, LFGM. Now, usually,
4: LFGM. Now,
3: LGM means Let's Go Mets, but you can interpret what the F stands for. And uh, the, the, since then, the Mets have been, I, I believe it's 1986 since you also right. they won six in a row. They're 59-56. and 56, And they're one game back in the wild card. So buying or selling the LFGM Mets hashtag. Wait, what is it again? LFGM. No, it's Let's Go Mets, but the F means something that is probably preventing I'm in.
4: I'm buying. I don't think the Mets are going to be down with that. I don't think Major League Baseball is going to be down with that. But A's Cast
3: Live, I'm down with that. Yeah, well, we're, we're building a bully. We can do whatever we want. All right, well, I want to get to this. We'll save the Ocho thing for last, but i, I got to find this. On this date, 12 years ago, this happened. Deals. <laughs> and
2: Seven fifty six Bond stands alone. He
0: is on top of the all time home run list. What a special moment for Barry Bonds
3: buying or selling. Barry Bonds as the home run king of Major League Baseball. Fine. Can't erase the record books. Eh, that's true. I wanted to get your take on this because I'm not a Barry Bonds guy. I'm not a Barry. B- I I I am
4: not at all. I I had to deal with Barry multiple times. I am not, and I know other personal things about him. I am not a Barry Bonds fan at all. But I am a Jose Canseco fan, and as Jose Canseco said everybody was doing something yeah so to say that well barry did it he was cheating well a lot of the guys he was hitting the balls off they were cheating too so it was a more level playing field this is why they all should be in the hall of fame it was a more level playing field than people knew and there's questions even today is it juice balls is it juice bats and do we still have players ahead of the testing another player just got popped yeah uh, Tim Beckham, former number one overall pick. Tim Beckham, he played the tainted sample. No, D-d-d-d-d-d- you cannot. They have everything you need inside the clubhouse to put in your body that's legal and will not get you in trouble. They have every single thing in all 30 clubhouses. You don't need to go anywhere and get a st- and get a, any type of supplement or anything from anywhere else. They have everything that's legal in your clubhouse. So the minute you take something from outside your clubhouse,
3: we all know what's going on. You're dirty. All right, I'm going to save the ESPN one for tomorrow because we're running out of time. The Ocho. The Ocho, and tomorrow is 8-8, so it fits perfectly. My, my reason why I don't like Barry Bonds, he couldn't throw out Sid Bream on one leg and ruin baseball in Pittsburgh for me for 20 years. I was three when it happened, but I will hold a grudge for the rest of my life. But he is the all-time home run leader. Yeah, he is. It is what it is.
4: Now, though, you look at Hank Aaron's numbers. Hank Aaron... If it wasn't for PEDs, Hank Aaron would have the most home runs. And remember, he's third in hits. Only only, only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb have more hits
3: than Hank Aaron. Think about that. Until Mike Trout gets there. Mike Trout will never <laughs> get there. As much as I love me some Trout. He, he might go down as the greatest player we've ever watched. My generation, at least. And I've seen some good players. I mean, I'm in love with Ichiro. I thought Etro was the greatest hitter I've ever seen.
4: Yeah, for me, the thing is, I saw I saw Bonds and Ricky. Both.
3: both those are they're both pretty good.
4: Yeah, Bonds and Ricky, are, it's going to be tough. Put it this way. Could he join Bonds and Ricky? Yeah, I think so. Is he overtaking? I think it's very tough to overtake Barry Bonds or, or, or Ricky Henderson. I, I agree, but Mike Trout will.
3: He'll, go, he'll come close. He'll go. He'll I think he swing. will. You know what? There's the greats,
4: and then there's the all-time greats. And I do believe at some point Mike Trout will be in that list of all-time greats. When we start talking Ruth and we start talking about Mays and when you start talking about Henry Aaron and you know what I mean, he's going to be up there with the greats. Barry, Ricky, he'll be up there. I think there's no question if he stays healthy. All right, that's going to do it from Six Flags. What a day we've had out here today. We will be back tomorrow from 4 to 7 doing A's cast live. Who's going to be
3: on? David Forrest, the president, Dave Cavill. Oh, my God. The voice of the White Sox, Jason Benetti. And uh, we'll see what else. I'm working on John Smoltz as well.
4: Smoltz, the Hall of Famer? The Hall of
3: Famer. Friend of the program? That's all we do is book Hall of Famers on the show. That's the
4: way. If you're in the Hall of Fame, you're coming on the show. That'll do it for A's Cast Live. Thank you, everybody, who came out here to Six Flags. And we'll see you all tomorrow right here from 4 to 7 on A's Cast Live. Up next, you're going to be listening to A's Cast.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
4: It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy,
1: all in one solution.